Good evening. I'd like to call to order this May 24th, 2022 school board work session. Ms. Goodell, could you please take the roll? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Here. Ms. Downs. Here. Dr. Gould. Here. Dr. Ortiz. Here. Mr. Reitinger. Here. Ms. Silverman. Here. And Ms. Tice. Here. Thank you. Thank you. If you could please join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. We all learned shortly ago of the tragedy in the state of Texas where uh, elementary school um, students were killed by a young man. And so I would just like to take, ask you all to join me in a moment of silence while we think about those children and their families. Thank you. I know as both school board members and the administrators in this room and as parents, our hearts go out to those families affected and uh, we will keep everyone in our prayers. Okay, now we'd like to move on to adopt the agenda, section 1.04. If I could have a motion to approve the agenda. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Chair, I move that the school board adopt the agenda as presented. Thank you. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And we're now at section two, our work session, and 2.01 K-12 insight presentation. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, uh, Chair Downs. Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see all of you. We've got a full house tonight. Um, nice to see some of the senior staff here as well. Um, this evening, we are um, privileged to have with us Kate Shoulders from K-12 Insight. Um, Kate, uh, will, you'll hear her resume a little bit from Dr. Weilenman here in just a second. Um, but before um, we go any further, I just wanted to um, give you some information about w why Kate is here tonight. Um, Dr. Shoulders is here this evening to share with you some data that we um, received by delivering our school climate um, and audit to our students most recently uh, from kindergarten through 12th grade. And as part of that climate data, one of the things that we learned um, through K, you know, K3 and then, I'm sorry, K2 and then 3, 6, 3, 5, I don't know why I'm getting these wrong here. Uh, K2, uh, 3, 5, 6, 8, and, 10, and 9, 12, um, are that uh, there are some significant differences in sort of how students perceive school. Um, one of the nice things about the uh, survey that was administered was uh, for the first time we were able to collect some benchmark data not only around um, school climate and culture and how students perceive climate and culture but also we've been able to collect some data around um, student mental health. And that was something that was really important to us to consider as we embark on our new strategic plan, as we emerge from COVID, and we recognize that there are some issues that students um, are facing as they are um, coming out of COVID. 
So um, this evening, um, Dr. Shoulders is going to share with you a presentation that, uh, fortunately, the, the leadership team, um, senior staff, as well as our principals had an opportunity to see last week. Um, you all will get a chance to see it this week. Um, what we won't be doing tonight is talking about exactly what the next steps are, uh, because we are in the process of having um, Dr. Shoulders and her team come back and dig deeper in with the principals of the school, along with our staff here at Central Office, to develop um, plans out of a session that they call Making Data Matter. I think I got that right. Is that right, Kate? Something like that? Making feedback matters. Making. Yeah, so the super awesome workshop of making feedback matter um, will be an opportunity for our leaders to come in um, of our schools and work collaboratively along with central office to develop plans to be responsive to the data that we're seeing come out of this survey. So I want to um, thank the board uh, for supporting us as we did this work around the culture audit um, and climate audit with our students. Um, and as I, I think I've shared with the board, but tonight I'll share again, we did, the same, um, we did the same sort of survey, not the same questions, but the same sort of survey with our staff um, to ask them more questions associated with culture and climate in the schools. And that data is continuing to be um, reviewed and aggregated and disaggregated, and that will come to you in the August timeframe. So you'll have a chance to see that. Uh, later uh, in the summer, but we wanted to share something with you so you could see the fruits of the uh, the work that um, Peter, Dr. Weilandman, along with John Brett, um, have done with respect to uh, this climate audit. So, Dr. Weilandman, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be here. Um, I'm happy to uh, introduce uh, Dr. Kate Shoulders, and we've been working together now since I want to say December or January. So relatively speaking, we turned this around relatively quickly. Um, Dr. Shoulders is the Senior Director of Research with Quake K-12 Insight um, and has over a decade of um, experience in survey research and social science. Before her time at K-12 Insight, she was a professor at the University of Arkansas where she conducted survey research to improve student experiences in public schools and university. Um, I will say John and I just kind of rode, the, rode her coattails uh, as she was really the expert and we deferred a lot of um, any questions that came up in survey methodology, that sort of thing, we deferred to her. So I'm going to turn it over right over to Kate uh, as, uh, as she's the person you want to be hearing from tonight. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for being here, Kate. Our questions following that. Um, if you would please uh, jot down in the lower left hand corner of it's my lower left hand corner, um, you'll see a slide number. If you have a question about it that refers to a particular slide, if you wouldn't mind, please jot down the number of the slide and that way it will streamline the process of getting back to that specific data that you'd like to discuss uh, at the end of the presentation. Normally, I like to um, entertain questions as we go, but 
but um, because there is quite a bit of data to get through, I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to view all of it. Um, are you able to see my presentation? Yes, we can. Excellent. So as mentioned, uh, this is the school quality survey, and we're going to be discussing each of the groups of students, starting with uh, the kindergarten through second. And I'll, I'll mention um, Peter and the Falls Church team was that they were interested in collecting data from kindergarten through second graders, and that's not something that we had done before. Um, so it was really uh, exciting to be able to collect data and get the feedback from, um, the, from those students uh, that we don't normally. Um, this project overview uh, refers to all of the um, all of the surveys that we conducted. Uh, so you can see here we focused on asking questions about learning, school support, family involvement, and safety and behavior. You can see when the survey was open and that there were separate versions of the survey for each of those grade levels. Um, some things to keep in mind is that the results do not reflect random sampling, and so we don't recommend generalizing these. Uh, findings to all um, all, the, all of the students of Falls Church. Um, the findings exclude participants that don't answer a particular question. So you'll see the number of students that answered a particular question by question. And then in the charts and graphs, uh, data labels that are less than 5% are not shown. So if you don't see a data label, it indicates that that is 4% um, or less. Any questions before we get into the data? Excellent. So here you can see the participation level for kindergarten through second graders. So um, that's a high participation rate. So it's excellent to see. And then I've included, because again, um, we're streamlining uh, what I think was a two hour uh, meeting um, previously, I've included some red arrows just to help um, you uh, focus on what we found to be the most salient pieces of, um, of information. And so you can see here that 98% of the responding students stated that um, they agreed that teachers expect me to put forth my uh, very best effort. However, um, only 58% said that their schoolwork was challenging most of the time. Regarding school support, we asked them one question. 96% said that they knew that there was an adult at school that they could go to if they have a problem. So again, at kindergarten through second, that's uh, excellent to see. With regard to family involvement, um, they said that their family talks to them about uh, things going on in school. So that was 81%. And then 64% of students said that their family members go to school events. We discussed in our meeting that it's highly possible that this percentage would increase without the district doing anything differently strictly because COVID up until very recently has um, put a damper on uh, families participating in person uh, with things going on in school. Regarding safety and behavior, 92% of the students said that they feel safe in their school. However, you can see further down there that 52% um, said that kids sometimes bully one another. Um, however, you can see that 90% said that if bullying happens, that there are consequences for the, for the students. We conducted a thematic analysis on the open response question um, that was asked to the students. And um, so we had these five themes that emerged. And again, in order to um, help you focus on the salient points, I bolded um, the, the main information from each of these. 
Um, so when asked to describe what it is like being a student at the school, um, these students said that overwhelmingly they had, um, they, they shared uh, statements regarding how much fun they were having at school. So they enjoyed playing with their friends and participating in classroom activities. They also um, talked about how much they enjoyed learning. They enjoyed learning overall and found that the learning activities were fun. Um, specifically mentioned were independent work, journaling, and reading. Uh, they talked about their affection for their teachers. They said they really liked their teachers, described them as nice, funny, and easy to talk to. Um, this group of students, and again, I mentioned we uh, hadn't typically um, surveyed this group of students. They were really interested in using uh, emojis, I think because they had the ability to do so. Um, so we included that in the, the analysis because it was there. Most frequently used were smiley faces with heart eyes, unicorns, food items, people in career-specific uniforms, and toilets. And then finally, they compared um, the school and their school life to their home life. Most of them saying uh, that the school felt like home, um, but we did want to point out that one student stated that the school was a lot better than home. Here I've got a few uh, demographic pieces just to display so you can see um, that uh, all grade levels were represented. And then you can see their demographics by gender, by race, ethnicity, and then Hispanic descent, free and reduced lunch status, uh, English as a second language status, and special education status. So representation from all demographics. Next, we're going to discuss the findings for students in grades three through five. Again, um, you can see a higher uh, participation rate, so 88% overall. Um, items, and I've highlighted again salient points that are um, can be um, considered throughout each of the grade levels. And so they also stated that 91% uh, stated that teachers expect them to put forth their very best effort. However, 36% um, agreed that their schoolwork is challenging most of the time. You can see 23% did not know how to answer that question, but 40% disagreed. And then lastly, that teachers give real life examples in class. This was a question that we did not ask to the kindergarten through second graders. 73% agreed with that, but 22% did not. Kate, if I could jump in for one second and mention that in this, for this grade level, we added the don't know um, category. So that's different from the K2. Thank you. And then as we go up in grade levels, they actually have a full liquor type scale between strongly disagree and strongly agree. Um, regarding school support, uh, we can see 83% of students said that they um, knew that there was an adult they could talk to in school if they had a school problem. However, that number declined to 57% knowing that there was an adult in school that they could go to if they had a personal problem. You can see there, um, 20% disagreed and 23% did not know. So increases in both of those from um, whether or not there was a school problem. Um, here the family involvement uh, and their knowledge of it was um, similar with both questions. They knew that their 68% um, said that their family knows about school sponsored activities and 69% indicated that their family was encouraged to attend. Again, we have lower levels of disagreement here, but higher levels of students not know. Regarding safety and behavior, 88% said that they um, felt safe in their school. Um, 
However, 49% said that adults respond quickly when a student is bullied. However, there you can also see that 40% were not sure, which makes sense if you look at that final statement that bullying is not accepted in the school. 90% agreed with that. And so if they haven't seen bullying, it would uh, make sense that they don't know how quickly an adult would respond. Added to um, the upper grade level, so grade three and onward, we asked them to rate their school um, between uh, excellent, good, fair, and poor. You can see here overwhelmingly students um, rated their school as excellent or good. The open response question here was uh, similar to the, that was uh, reported for the K through two. Um, these students described their school as fun um, they said oftentimes that it was the highlight of their day and that they were excited to go to school. They had a higher focus on friends than the K through two students. They enjoyed that school allowed them to spend time with their friends. Um, they relied on their friends when they encountered challenges. And one student claimed that every school had every student has at least one friend. They did um, share that they have lots to learn. Um, they also understood that while they were learning a great deal. Uh, that they understood that the learning that they were doing was necessary to prepare them for secondary school and college and to help them better understand the world as citizens. They stated that their teachers were helpful, um, that their learning could be difficult at times, but the, the teachers were always available to offer assistance. Um, they said that the teachers were genuinely um, caring about the students and their learning. Um, they also mentioned that school rules are both fair and fairly enforced. They perceive their own treatment and the treatment of other students to be fair. And finally, uh, they um, talked about safety. They described their school as safe and free of bullying. They said that their teachers emphasize the importance of being kind. Here you can see again, we have even representation across the grade levels and across genders ethnicity, and additional participant demographics. Moving on to students in grades 6 through 12. Now I've included here some key insights. They're at the beginning of each of the report sections, but I like to skip them so that we can actually look at the data when discussing them. However, they are in the report if you um, are looking for Cliff's notes um, as you review it. You can see here participation is lower and I'm gonna give a caveat to this uh, upper level group of students. Because of their, um, their developmental stage, they have lower response rates uh, and they typically have lower um, levels of agreement, lower favorable responses than the younger grade levels. They're simply less excited about school um, and it's a little bit cooler to not be excited about things. And so overall, these students, you'll see declining um, levels of agreement. That's not necessarily to say that their experience is um, different. It's just the um, characteristic of the age group. So here you can see regarding questions that they were asked uh, regarding their learning. Um, we still had high levels of agree and strongly agree that the school has high, high learning standards for all students. Um, we asked the question about whether or not teachers give them timely feedback and helpful feedback. 
And you can see just at about 60% uh, indicated that um, teachers give timely feedback in their work and uh, slightly over 30% disagreed. We can also see um, below 50% indicated that teachers successfully show students how lessons relate to life outside of school. That one um, had much higher level of agreement with the lower grade level. Moving on to school support, you can see here a similar pattern as we saw with the grades three to five. Um, the higher percentages of over 80% indicated that there was someone that they could go to for help with a school problem, um, but less than that, uh, still over 60%, but less than that indicated that they could uh, go to an adult with a personal. Regarding school administration, these questions were just asked to these upper grade levels. Uh, you can see here, uh, I've highlighted the three, um, these three bottom statements, uh, strictly because of the high number, uh, the high percentage of students who did not know um, how to answer those questions. Uh, so this could be indicative of them not having a concern and not needing to go to school administration. Um, they just simply haven't had that interaction. You can see there, um, kind of mid-level ranges of agreement um, with regard to the decision-making of the school administrators um, and uh, their responsiveness, um, availability, and courteousness when a concern was brought to them. These are, are common for what we see across the nation, again, strictly because if a student doesn't regularly go to school administration, they may not know. Regarding safety and behavior, we can see here a high number of students, close to 90%, indicated that the school was safe. Um, I am going to mention anecdotally, uh, this is much higher than we've seen at um, several schools across the nation. Um, typically, the, the percentages here for uh, favorable responses um, have been lower this year. And so certainly some, um, some points of celebration uh, within safety and behavior for all students. We can see here that um, we've got a, a over 70% indicating that bullying was not tolerated, uh, a lower percent, just a slight of, at 56% that staff members are responsive when a student reports bullying. And then um, under 70%, just under 70% indicating that students are treated fairly regardless of their race, culture, religion, sexual orientation, gender, or disability. Again, asking about the school quality, we once again have um, well over 80% of the students that responded indicating excellent or good. With these students, we asked them questions regarding um, their social emotional state. Uh, we can see here, and this is one that we focused on quite a bit in our um, previous meetings, uh, over 30% of students indicated uh, that they regularly feel sad. Regarding being successful, uh, we can see that uh, they have high levels of agreement that there are many things that they do well. Uh, about 80% indicated that they feel smart. And then the, there's some declining level of agreement. The two I wanted to focus on were um, those lower levels of agreement or higher levels of disagreement that they set goals for themselves and work through steps to meet those goals, um, which could uh, kind of flow into their schoolwork um, if they have 
projects or, or pieces that, that can last a, a little while. Regarding questions related to growth mindset, um, we can see here again, higher, level, higher levels of agreement um, with the statement, the harder I work at something, the better I am at it. Um, and then we had some higher agreement that, or some lower agreement, I'm sorry, that they're not easily discouraged. So we've got um, about 30%, slightly over 30% indicating that they are easily discouraged. Um, we can also see that uh, we've got close to 30% indicating that they disagree, that they stick uh, with hard assignments until they are done. Um, and then just under 70% indicated that they ask for help when needed, and the, suggesting there again that uh, over 30% do not ask for help when needed. Regarding items um, with respect for others, and then next would be empathy. Um, these statements are typically across the nation have higher levels of agreement because we're asking them about their own behavior and um, in favorable terms. So they find themselves to be very respectful of others and to be very empathetic. The um, only one that had some, uh, in that, that slightly higher, uh, percentage of disagreement was that they think often about what it would be like to be in someone else's situation. So slightly lower levels of agreement there. Regarding relationship skills, slightly over, I'm sorry, was there a comment? Okay, just wanna make sure. Slightly over 30% indicated that it was hard for them to make friends and under 80% indicated that students uh, in, their, in their school treat uh, teachers with respect. With regard to responsible decision-making and questions related, um, higher levels of, of agreement with the exception of um, rule following. I don't follow rules if it means uh, doing something I don't want to. Uh, over 40% indicated that they don't follow rules if it means doing something they don't want to. I can imagine that would be frustrating for teachers. Here we have questions related to self-management. You can see here just over 60% uh, indicated that they stay focused in class even when there are distractions. So 40% are not able to stay focused in class. Uh, over 80% uh, indicated that they do tasks that are necessary even when they don't feel like it. Again, indicating roughly 20% do not do tasks when they don't feel like it. Um, again, we've got 26% here indicating that they do not study for tests and right around 20% indicating um, that they do not keep track of when homework is due. So there's some opportunities there within um, self-management and self-regulation. Um, further questions regarding bullying and safety. Uh, we can see here uh, that about 80% indicated teachers are supportive when bullying is reported. Um, however, while they found the teachers to be supportive, much less indicated that if another student was bullying them, that they would tell someone. Continued with the, the bullying and safety questions. 
You can see just over 60% indicated that um, school offers programs that help them learn how to manage their feelings. And then the final thematic analysis. Um, here, I'd, I'd like you to take note that we asked a different question of these students. We asked them um, what some things were that add to their stress level of school. And so while the other groups of students focused on very positive aspects of uh, their school day, here we specifically asked them to focus more on some of the negative. And so you're not going to see those um, positive feel good responses uh, as we did with the other grade levels. So um, indicators are, are uh, uh, factors related, um, increasing their stress levels. First, uh, most frequently mentioned was high, uh, heavy workload. They stated that they had a lot of homework across multiple classes and that required them to stay up late at night. That um, also reduced their free time and their sleep, which then exacerbated those stress levels. Um, they did request that teachers uh, space their work over a greater amount of time. Uh, they expressed frustration over the timing of assessments. They felt there was a lack of coordination between teachers, uh, which led to assessments frequently being given in multiple classes at the same time. They then felt that they were unable to study enough um, for each of the uh, assessments when they were given so closely together. And so then um, that negatively impacted their grades, which then again further exacerbated their stress. Um, next was an emphasis on scholastic, what they termed overachievement. Um, they said they felt that the school's culture ties self-worth, the IB diploma, and grades too closely together, which created pressure to overachieve. They said the pressure made them feel like they aren't good enough, and it added to their workloads, which caused additional stress. Um, one student mentioned they used to be very passionate about the content of the classes, but the focus on performance and grades caused them to lose interest in the actual content. Next, they discussed grading and uh, the greater impact of summative assessments on overall grades um, as compared to formative assessments. They mentioned that if they weren't good test takers, but they um, did well on their, uh, their more authentic assignments and the more formative assignments, that um, their grade took uh, a hit that they felt like was uh, too hard and that added to their stress level. Um, finally, uh, I'm sorry, not, I think this is broken up into two slides to make it easier to read. Uh, next was extracurricular activities. They said it was stressful to master the time management required to be successful in school and their extracurricular activities, which included sports and clubs, um, which again is what we saw in the quantitative data um, where they uh, there were greater uh, percentages of students that indicated they were not so great at time management. Next, uh, they talked about their personal mental health um, they said they felt anxious when socializing. Uh, the school environment made them anxious and crowded spaces made them feel anxious. They said they were worried about what their peers thought of them and how to behave around their peers. And some referred to their um, generalized anxiety uh, diagnosis. Next was timeliness of feedback on assignments. Uh, students said that the time they received feedback on assignments added to their levels of stress. Um, they felt like uh, they wanted the feedback from teachers uh, earlier than they received. Second to last was public speaking. Um, they said it was stressful and intimidating to speak in front of their classmates, both as a presentation or as part of a class discussion. They said they lacked confidence when they required, were required to share their thoughts or answers in class. And finally, 
Um, students said that harassment added to their uh, levels of stress. They reported racism, homophobia, and being misgendered at school as adding to their stress levels. Again, we can see here fairly even representation across the grade levels. And gender, race, ethnicity. And then here we also added the diploma track as a uh, method of um, tracking their demographics. Now this data is going to be similar. It's included in the six through 12 data that we just saw, but here we're just focusing on the middle school. And so um, this section is just middle school. And then after that, we'll discuss just the high school. So you can see how these two are broken down. Uh, we can see here, similar to what we saw before, um, that they felt that there's high learning standards for all students, um, higher levels than what we saw in the overall uh, um, said that they were academically challenged by their schoolwork. Here we note that um, they had that uh, just over 60% in there indicating that uh, teachers could timely feedback and much lower levels of agreement here stating um, that teachers successfully show students how lessons relate to life outside of school. So this could perhaps be where they start shifting to that more performance-based uh, talk um, and valuing systems. You can see here again we saw those similar levels of agreement and the disparity between them um, as far as agreement that there was someone they could go to in the school for help with the school problem versus a personal problem here we can see uh, they indicated that, that they agreed that the school offered a variety of extracurricular activities um, lower levels of agreement there that they received the support they needed to prepare for the future um, and that the school addresses their individual needs. Regarding school administration, um, again, they um, had those lower levels of agreement with the decision making, um, slightly higher for uh, regard to how the, uh, the school's mission and vision are communicated. But again, we've got this fairly high levels of don't know. We see that here, particularly with those last two, those higher levels of uh, students not knowing answers to those questions, whether they're available, courteous, and responsive. With regard to safety and behavior, again, over 80% indicated the school is safe. Um, they also felt that uh, discipline may only just over 60% indicated that discipline was enforced fairly. Um, but I would like to, again, um, note that uh, perception of the school being safe, we're not seeing that across the nation. So that's definitely a, a point of celebration. Similarly here um, in the statement that bullying is not tolerated, uh, I see those a lot in the agreement being 20 to 40%. So that's excellent and, and something to be celebrated among staff members. Um, we can see that 24% 24 percent uh, indicated they don't know um, whether staff members are responsive when bullying is reported. With regard to how the uh, school is rated, again, high levels of um, students rating it as excellent and good. Managing their feelings, again, um, over 30 percent indicating that they uh, regularly feel sad. 
Under 60% indicating that they set goals for themselves and work through steps to meet those goals. Regarding the growth mindset, um, you can see here again, higher levels of over 30% indicating that they are easily discouraged. And under 70% indicating that they ask for help when needed. Once again, we see that high level of agreement with regard to how respectful they are to others. and their levels of empathy. Again, we see that higher level of disagreement in their ability to um, think about what it would be like to be in someone else's situation. Relationship skills. We've got uh, over 30% indicating that it is hard to make friends. We also have over 21% indicating that they do not feel comfortable interacting with the adults at their school. Um, they felt uh, just under 60% felt that students treat one another with respect um, and just over 60% indicated that they felt students treat teachers with respect which means close to 40% indicated that they felt that students do not treat teachers with respect. <coughs> Regarding responsible decision-making, again, we can see fairly high levels of agreement with these. Uh, and then that uh, 30, just over 30% indicated they don't follow rules that means doing something that they don't want. Regarding their self-management, just over 60% indicated that they stay focused when there are distractions. And we've got lower, not lower percentages of students indicating that they make goals of what to work on now and what to work on later. So that again refers back to that time management. Uh, 30% uh, indicate they don't study for tests. And under 90% indicated that they keep track of when homework. Regarding school support, um, just close to 80% uh, indicated that teachers are supportive when bullying is reported. But again, we see that, that disparity um, just over, it's right around 70% indicated that if another student was bullying, they would tell a teacher or a staff member. Again, uh, focusing on school support lower levels of agreement that the school offers uh, programs to help them learn how to manage their feelings. And then here you can see again the participation across grade levels. Finally, we'll discuss the um, results for the high school students. Again, these are part of the data that you saw in the 6 through 12 report. So learning we can see here again, um, 
high levels of agreement that students are academically challenged, uh, lower levels of agreement that the learning standards and expectations are clearly explained to students. So we can see that there's an increase in that um, being academically challenged from what we saw at the lower grade level. Uh, again, regarding learning, um, about 60%, just over 60% indicated that their teachers give timely feedback. Over 30% indicated that they disagreed with that statement. Um, they also had lower agreement. So 47% indicated that teachers uh, show students how lessons relate to life outside of school. We can see again the disparity between students um, knowing and agreeing that they there's someone they can go to um, with for help with a school problem versus a personal problem we can also see here that high levels of agreement that the student that the schools offer a, a variety of extracurricular activities um, but those lower levels of agreement um, regarding that they receive the support they need and their uh, individualized um, support Regarding school administration, again, very consistent um, responses here. Um, again, uh, it's typical of the of the grade level. And again, those higher percentages of don't know um, regarding statements they may have not had to encounter uh, in the in the past. Some safety and behavior questions. Uh, so we can see here that the students found that, um, again, the school is safe. I cannot stress enough how um, excellent that is to see. Uh, they were a little um, less in agreement that discipline was enforced fairly. Um, it's, it's probably too soon for us. Can you go back um, to say that we're pretty sure that we've made some inroads on all students are aware of the safety and security procedures at the high school? Maybe too soon. but. We do think that they are, this was administered before the lockdown. Excellent, thanks. Um, here again, we can see uh, slightly less than the other grade levels, um, but still very high compared to what we've seen uh, across the nation in tolerance of bullying. Um, and then some lower levels of agreement that student member or students uh, get responded or get a response um, when bullying is reported. You see a slight decline here in the numbers of students that um, feel that the school uh, treats students fairly regardless of race, culture, religion, sexual orientation, gender, or school. We can see here though um, that we still have high levels of um, high ratings from students. So um, well over 80% indicated that the, they felt the school was excellent or good. Regarding these um, more social emotional questions, uh, we can see here again, um, closer to 40% indicator, actually it is 40% indicated that they regularly feel sad. Um, That's something again, slightly alarming, but also um, something for the you know there's a lot there uh, dealing with um, their uh, their development that um, is, is out of out of our control a little bit. Regarding being successful, um, 
under 80% indicated that they can complete all their sport. Uh, and again, under 80% indicated that they work through steps to meet their goals. But we do have higher numbers of students or higher percentages of students that are setting goals for themselves as compared to the uh, middle school. Regarding the growth mindset, you can see here again, close to 30% uh, indicating that they are easily discouraged. And um, similar percentages regarding um, sticking with hard assignments and, and having that grit and asking for help when needing it. Again, with uh, regard to respect for others, they feel they are very respectful and empathetic. Again, we see that higher level of uh, disagreement in um, thinking about, often thinking about what it would be like to be in someone else's situation. Regarding their relationship skills, over 30% indicated that it was hard for them to make friends. And you can see here, they felt they get along well with uh, different people. And then just slightly under under 80% um, indicating that uh, students treat one another with With regard to responsible decision making, you can see uh, slightly over 20% not, over indicated that um, they disagreed that it was important to be honest, even if it means getting in trouble. You can see that we had high levels of agreement about thinking about what might happen before they make a decision. Um, which is a little disconcerting when you see the high number or the high percentage of students that don't follow rules if it means doing something they don't want to do. So they, they're thinking about uh, being okay with that choice of not following the rules. With regard to self-management, again, uh, just under 60% indicated that they stay focused in class, um, which it means that there's that higher percentage of students that are unable to stay focused. Um, high levels of agreement that they um, can think of multiple ways to solve a problem, slightly lower, so under 80%, uh, keeping track of when homework is due and studying. With regard to school support, um, you can see that 80% uh, indicated that teachers are supportive when supportive when bullying is reported. However, 40% um, indicated that they would not tell um, a teacher or staff member if they were being bullied. Um, you can see here, similar to what we had seen before uh, regarding um, offering of programs to manage their feelings. And then lastly, the participation for um, across the grade levels for this uh, the high school. Okay, with that, I'm happy to entertain any questions you may have. Thank you so much for that very informative presentation. And we, and we did have a chance to uh, read it read it before this meeting. So uh, I think we probably have some, some questions and comments, but it was really uh, fascinating for me. I know I speak for my colleagues as well. Uh, would anyone like to kick it off with any questions or comments? 
Yes, Ms. Tice. I just had a question about the response rate at the middle school um, and how how effective it would be or how responsible it would be to, to take that data with such a relatively low response rate compared to the other grades and if there's an explanation. I mean, I know it was up to the kids and they had a million Schoology messages and reminders, but um, are there, is there, is there ever an option to just kind of make it part of a mandated part of a class, like part of PAC or Flex or something like that where we could get a higher response rate for middle schoolers in the future? I, I could start. I, I could start that one, and then Kate, maybe you can follow up if you want. Um, we did ask each of the um, principals and, and associate principals at each of the sites to designate a time for the students to take it, so that it wasn't just up to students to take it whenever they wanted. So it actually was assigned during PAC. So those students that didn't participate just didn't do it during PAC uh, when it was time to do it. So. Um, you know, we did carve out the time to very specifically ask students to do that. But with respect to, um, you know, the percentage of population, and, and Kate, you can certainly opine on this, but my experience is when you have more than 50 percent, that's, that's a pretty strong uh, rate of return. But I'll let you answer that one. Sure. Uh, we had talked about this a little bit um, uh, before as we get that question a lot. and. Um, we always share if, if that number let's go back real quick and and see the numbers i know we have the percentages and so you get concerned about the the lower percentages um but going back to their there we go so overall we had 320 students from six seven and eight if there were 320 students that were crammed into that room that you're in right now would you listen to them So we offer that as a, a point of consideration when um, you're considering whether or not, you know, should we really listen to these students? Are, you know, can we take action based on, um, you know, these, these the 88%, 80%, 88% of students responding? Um, but the, that's still a considerable number of students um, that have opinions that have shared them. So uh, we, certainly would love to see a hundred percent response rate um but the data is still certainly valuable would you change chris had a quick follow-up would you change how you responded to the data for the middle school versus the high school based on the different response rates i would not thanks thank you miss tice I'm going to follow up very quickly um, and, and, and share a little bit about why as, uh, as you all are thinking about your next questions. I don't think any of the changes that you would be making would be taking anything away from students. So I didn't see anything in here where I think, well, I don't know if that's a change that we should be making, but the students indicated that it would be helpful, so we'll do it. Um, I think any change that you make, if, if you're focusing on improvements, is certainly going to be an improvement. If these students are helping you with that direction um, of what of, of what to improve, I don't think it takes anything away, um, which is why I'm saying I don't think I would do anything differently based on response rate. They're all good um, ideas as far as like what might come out of this data. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Dr. Dimick. Um. So it, it, 
sounds like these are batteries that you administer to regularly so that there may be schools to compare this to. And I guess I, I'm curious about your, your question. I don't follow rules if it means doing something I don't want to, which I think is a question that one needs to actually read and think about a little bit because of the double negative phrasing in there. And I'm wondering, um, yeah, I'm just curious. Is it our students? Uh, or how do we compare on this to other student populations? That one is not one that we administer regularly. So we um, work to put this survey together through some of our benchmark surveys that we do give to schools across the nation very frequently. And then others that we uh, are not in our benchmark. So currently we don't have that social emotional benchmark. Um, and so we haven't given, that's one that, that I would love to see move to a benchmark based on uh, the focus of that, but we don't currently have that. So I can't, I haven't delivered that question very frequently, so I can't speak um, to that one as far as what we see commonly across the nation. Um, I was looking forward to my slides and I can't find it, so I'm just gonna stumble through. So with, uh, for some of them, you have what looks to be responses to open-ended questions, and you've sort of summarized those responses. Um, yes. I guess I'm. I guess I'm thinking of the the homework one that it's. I can't get my homework done. I have to stay up late at night. I'm very stressed. Um, I, I guess I'm wondering the percentage of students who, who I'm just kind of curious as to what percentage of students say that. You know, I have my sample size of my one kid, and and I would say, you know. That 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 doesn't reflect my my n of one, um, but I'm just sort of curious. With those open-ended responses, are you just are you summarizing what's there? Or are you picking? I, I, I guess I, unlike these other questions, I don't have a sense of who's saying what. Right. Uh, that's a that's a great question, and my apologies if I geek out on on that for a minute. Um, so we've got two types of data here: quantitative and qualitative. The qualitative data is strictly um, there to help you recognize um, the themes and what students are thinking and saying. They're listed in order of um, frequency, but not they're not designed to be um, evaluated in a percentage or in a frequency type manner. So um, they're they're designed to help you see what uh, what if students were all in the room, what you may hear. Um, in, in different pockets of conversations, um, but they're not to be uh, measured as quantitative data. And so if you're wondering about those percentages, that's a great opportunity to look back at those, um, the quantitative questions that are designed um, to go strictly off of uh, frequency, where they uh, indicate the, um, the workload, whether or not expectations are clearly uh, stated. So those, um, those pieces would be more informative as far as um, percentage-wise. These are simply themes that came up um, in those uh, in those open responses, um, and so we do that via it's called the constant comparative method, where we're coding um, information that students are saying and what they're sharing, and putting those into themes again to just help you see what their conversation uh, was, what they were sharing, uh, but again not designed to be um, to be indicative of how loud that voice was. 
again, you can see in there, for example, the one um, response, there was one student that indicated that um, school was better than home, uh, but it was highlighted here because it's an important piece to remember that there are some students who feel that home is not um, quite as great at school and they might come to school for respite. So Kate, is it is it fair to say um, that when we get into the making feedback matter sessions and we start contemplating how best to sort of utilize these data to get feedback from kids that those open-ended questions and some of those specific responses that you saw could become then entry points for, for example, focus groups or group stable group conversations at the high school or some things like that that might I'm just trying to think about how we might actually utilize those because it seems to me that at the high school and at the middle school, knowing where homework came in, it would be a great topic of conversation to have a 45 minute session on with your kids during their pack time or their, their stable group time. Absolutely. So um, what we would recommend is focusing first on the quantitative data. And then when you have those why questions where you're saying, okay, you know, 80% indicated this particular thing why what what were they getting what what why did they answer that that way and then seeing um if you if there's some some further information that can add to the context to the richness of what they were intending um by that by that uh, answer so that's what those are designed for it's to help you see why they may have responded a particular way um, so they would be a great spot to begin adding context uh, to why they answered particular ways uh, on the quantitative basis. Thank you. Mr. Edinger. So thank you for the presentation. I, I, I will say I'm going to not give any sort of specific deep dives, I think, because it's a little, it's a lot of data. Um, and it's, you know, as a data dump, um, no matter how much time you spend with it, it's a little hard to, to draw any overarching conclusions. As 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 the as as you go as you go forward, there are a few things I'm really interested in. Um, you know, like for example, I, I'm not shocked that a large number, not a majority, but a significant number of students say they don't follow the rules. I mean, I think any of us who've raised kids or have been in society know that there are rule followers and not rule followers. And you know, I don't know that you're going to put a delta on that in school or not. Um, but I am interested in. You know, where there is benchmarking data, um, first off, figuring out where we depart from the benchmarks. And some of those things are going to be socioeconomic and a bunch of other things, but it's, that's going to be, I think, really useful when we see how we compare um, across jurisdictions. Like I would, be, I would be quite surprised if we didn't say, didn't find that we have higher levels of stress among all of our students um, as compared to most other jurisdictions. Um, the second thing I'm kind of interested in is even where we can't benchmark against results, are there places where we can benchmark over time? Um, and just one example, and I'm not, you know, there could be lots of examples for this, but if you look at the question, I was, as we were going through this, I was taking a look at, is there an adult that you know who to report to if you see there's a problem? It's in the highest in elementary school, it goes down, but it actually drops the lowest, not, at in, at, not in high school, but in middle school. Um, and that again is not, it's like 63, I think, in middle school and it goes up over 70 in high school. That again, you know, may have nothing to do with the schools. It may just be that 
middle school kids are really not confident about going to talk with anyone about their personal problems. But it'd be very interesting to see how, if we can benchmark against ourselves and if there's places that we um, want, to, want to focus on based on the transition of students through the system, what, um, what Mr. Castillo used to refer to as sort of the cohort approach. And, and the last thing is, um, I think it would be great for the administration in going through these and the, and the, the staff in going through these to look at the, if there are areas, regardless of benchmarking, that we think are a concern. It just standing alone, we think that's something we have to address. Knowing what we know about students and you know, knowing what we know about the community, are there things that we want to do? And so you know, I, I'll just, without diving in anymore, I'll just say I, I look forward to having a more detailed examination of after you do the feedback session and after you do discussions about the places that we you can learn some things that we can do moving forward. So it's very helpful to have the data. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. And, and um, with respect to, to the cohorting and, and looking at trend data over time, um, we have committed to um, readministering this assessment in two years so that we can kind of see have we made ground on those things that we are really interested in. I think having the principals in uh, and assistant principals in not too long ago to look at these data to see what, what popped, what really surprised you, and what do you see as some of the issues that we need to address as sort of standalones. Um, there were a couple of things that I, I think will be takeaways for us, and I think all of us felt like it when we saw the data around, for example, um, I, I, I can make a friend. You know, and, and, it, and it, when you have 35% of the kids, and I, I don't know the exact number, but roughly 35% of the kids who say, I don't know how to make a friend, you know, that's, that's disconcerting. Or, or I don't, you know, 30% of the kids say, I don't know who to go to if I have a personal problem. So what are you doing? Are you internalizing that? Or, you know, what, what happens then and how does that deal? So deal with your anxiety. So I do think that there are a number of things that sort of popped in here um, that we, we probably should pay attention to. Um, and there are some things in here that maybe we're giving too much attention to that we don't need to give as much attention to. Um, that has, you know, we're either doing well in or um, have spent too much, not too much resource, but enough resource to get it to a good, a good place. So those are some other things that we're looking at. But appreciate the appreciate the comments. Uh, just briefly to, to to add a direct response. I mean, my gut, without knowing the comparative data, is I'm worried about the same things you are. Um, especially in a post-pandemic environment, it, I'm worried about support systems. And you know, are there adults to go to for support? Are there peers to go to? Have our students lost some of the ability to make friends? And that just strikes me as the, the place that I'm certainly most concerned about. But that's just you know one person's opinion as opposed to anything informed by data. No, it's, I, I, I think it's the right question. These are the right questions to ask that, that we're also internally asking. And we put something in the Friday update, and, and you may or may not have seen it, but it was a comparison of, you know, where kids are sort of social, emotionally, and academically now compared to where they, they would have been had we had three normal years. And so, for example, the third graders are having their first quote-unquote normal school year. And think about what happens in kindergarten, first, and second grade when it comes to learning how to make friends or how to interact socially these third graders for the first time are having to learn how to make a friend. And so I would anticipate um, seeing that all the way through. Ninth graders who left during the pandemic are now back as seniors 
and suddenly these seniors are like, I, I missed, you know, a whole host of things that are associated with, you know, social and emotional learning. Um, so I think we're going to experience that now for a decade. I think it's going to be a decade before we recover from some of the things that we saw come out of the pandemic. So this gives us, I think, really a good starting point to begin to address some of those. So thanks for the question. Thank you, Mr. Iyer. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Yeah, I have what might be an inane question and then just a, a couple of supplemental <coughs> comments. Um, the one question I have is um, um, a lot of times with these surveys, especially if they're administered at a very specific time, like, you know, we're going to do it in PAC today, um, there can be um, kind of proximity bias in the results, like, you know, whichever summative assessment went poorly the day before is going to have a disproportionate effect on the results for, you know, that particular student. Um, uh, and so the question is, generally, do you see that kind of proximity bias um, in these tests, like if they're administered at a certain time of year or, um, or you know, um, maybe, you know, like all at once, you know, do you see variation and should, you know, um, you know, like if we were to administer this today, um, understanding, of course, the public safety procedures in the high school question notwithstanding, um, you know, would we see, would you expect to see essentially the same results? I'll, I'll let Kate answer that one. Right, it's a great question. Um, what you're referring to is uh, threats of maturation and history. Um, and the, the challenge is that in social science, we always have those, right? Folks are always, especially students, are always developing. So if you ask these same students um, these questions six months ago, not only have they experienced very different, you know, they've, they've had six months of experiences, but they're adding to that, but they're also having six months of maturation. And at the student level, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade, um, they're maturing at very rapid rates. And so, yes, um, I can say that those are threats that, that you're always going to, um, to have with any, with any uh, social science information that you're um, trying to collect. Uh, however, uh, that part of that is why we um, offer the the benchmarking when we do why we share our anecdotal evidence so you can see how your students are anecdotally comparing to those that we're seeing elsewhere um, so of course it's a it's a, a threat um, we also and I know you all had uh, are committed to um, to conducting this again in two years uh, we recommend conducting it each year so that you're really benchmarking over time and can see some of those differences um, as they develop and that you're not two years in if there's something that uh, something else that pops up. Um, so yeah, there, there certainly would you see differences overall, um, you know, within particular individual statements you may. Uh, but again, these are all experiences that the students have um, that they're that they're taking with them. So if you were to ask the same thing. I mean, honestly, if you were to ask those students in Texas those safety questions tomorrow versus yesterday, I'll bet you would get different responses. All right, very good. Thank you. Um, so just a couple of a couple of, of thoughts. Um, one is I agree that, you know, with kind of the general statements about, you know, what stood out in terms of potential action areas. I know, you know, you, know, you have a lot of work to do to go through these. Um, one thing that I, I don't have a, a lot of familiarity with this study, but I do with the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, which is administered to federal um, um, to federal workers, and 
um, I get to review those for my office and, you know, um, develop plans. And one of the things that we, we focus on is, you know, there's you highlighted in, in the presentation with the red arrows, you know, these are things that kind of just stood out, you know, whether or not they're actually legitimate, or, you know, areas of significant concern or not is something to be seen as you work through it. But at least, you know, hey, you know, this is something that we might not normally see. Um, and, and that's helpful. Um, one of the, the things that, that um, uh, I'd like also to know, and this is where I think the benchmarking becomes particularly important, is what are strengths that we have that we can build on? Because that's where the solutions come from. Um, and so if in the process of working through it, that benchmarking data says, okay, you know, you actually have some significant strengths in this ability, I don't know, to communicate with students. Um, you know, that can be a, um, an inroad into helping to solve some of those other challenges, you know. So rather than just focusing on, you know, where there are areas of concern, they, obviously we have to do that. That's an obligation that we have. Um, we do have a lot of things that, 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 that we should be proud of that we can use as, a, as, a, as building blocks to, to help us get better. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Thank you for the presentation. Um, Kind of going off of what we were talking about a few minutes ago um, in terms of that this is the benchmark and that we're going to uh, plan to do this study again in the future. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish we had had some of this data before COVID, which then leads me to think, have you done this study with other schools pre-COVID? Some of the questions you can't translate to our school. You know, how do the teachers at your school handle bullying? Well, that you, you can't see, you know, you can't compare two different school systems, I don't think, with that question. But do you feel comfortable trying to make a friend? Probably does, you know, it might not be as school specific and it might be interesting just to see the data from other schools pre-COVID uh, to our school here. Again, I don't know how many questions are transferable to to our school but I, I think there might be some where we might just be able to get a good sense of where kids are in general um, ability to make a friend I think does span across schools and localities um, I would agree I, I do think I would challenge you to think about some of those other questions about uh, say for example bullying um, the notion that students have perceptions about uh, the safety of their school and about how bullying is handled, um, I, I think is something that spans across schools. If a student feels that their school is safe, they're thinking a lot less about their safety um, and they're able to focus more on learning. They're more interested in attending school. Their parents are more interested in, um, in sending them to school as opposed to those that, uh, that frequently come up with excuses for why they can't attend school when really it's that they don't feel safe. Um, Likewise, we see that their grades can shift um, with, with regard to their perceptions of safety and bullying um, because they're able to really focus on learning and not worrying about how safe they are in school. We see um, some differences in those thematic or the thematic analyses that you saw. Open responses can differ very greatly um, based on what students are thinking about um, with perspective to their school. So while what you're doing for um, safety and bullying and, and those things may, I, I certainly agree with you. I don't, you know, you, you can't take what's being done in one school and transfer it to another school, but um, getting a feel for how students are perceiving those things, I think is something that 
that transfers um, kind of across across the nation. We've got uh, school districts that what they're doing is making students feel very safe, and then others that uh, where that's certainly an, an area that they need to to focus on. Um, with regard to comparing to pre-COVID, uh, as with every other aspect of of life, I think. Um, it's almost apples to oranges just because there have been so many differences and changes. And that again speaks to that, that threat of history. So much has changed um, that it's really hard to get a feel for what, what can be compared and what can't be because districts were doing so many different things regard to, with regard to how they were delivering school. Um, what people were focusing on was very different. We're seeing some things that are uh, similar across the nation now, as far as like bus driver shortages, teachers shortages, substitute shortages, um, lack of support for teachers. We had like a, a bit of a spike in support for teachers um, kind of through the pandemic. And then that dropped off again where um, folks are tired of it. And so they're um, kind of lashing out again with some of that lack of support for teachers in schools, um, even when their hands are tied. So we've cautioned against, and that's why we did, we haven't put benchmarks out. Um, typically, we 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 have folks um, compare this year's data to last year's benchmark um, because in the past they have been really similar. Um, but we didn't put benchmark data out last year because there it was almost there was no standard, um, and so we're looking at now we're collecting data to kind of after we've reset on providing that benchmark data. We should have, we're gonna be working on this in July, and then immediately following that, we'll be sending out the benchmark reports so that you can compare what you have now to this year. And then moving forward, we'll have this year's data to compare to next year's survey for those schools that are doing um, surveys next year. Thank you. Can, can you clarify to Kate, um, not all the questions that we asked will have benchmark data. So for example, we did quite a few questions that were tailored specifically to Falls Church and also that were associated with mental health. And I don't believe that the mental health questions will have benchmark data, but the other others will. Is that correct? Correct. Those questions related to school quality will have benchmarks. Um, we don't currently offer benchmarks for, because we, we haven't um, benchmark those surveys related to um, mental health and social emotional wellness. Um, but I would love to see us move to that direction in the future. So I'm going to say no, but you, you're, you just may get like a early fall surprise if we're able to benchmark some of that, depending on how many schools have um, asked those questions this year. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Tice. I have one more question. I think it's for Dr. Noonan. Um, what would what would it take, or or is are there any plans for doing a similar survey of parents? Um, we we haven't contemplated doing a similar survey for parents. Um, what would it take? We probably would connect with K twelve Insight again um, to to do something um, around school school culture perceptions of school culture and climate for parents. Um, you know, that may be something we could consider for next year. I, I certainly would be interested. I think it's really valuable to get the kids' perspective, but sometimes when you're thinking of the lower, the young, the lower age, younger kids, um, you know, it would, what they have to say and what their parents see wouldn't necessarily match. And so I think both data points would be interesting. 
I guess that would be true of the older kids too. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be true probably with all grades. Um, one of the nice things that we did because we were, and Kate, you can correct me, but one of the few that, and maybe the only that did K two, um, is is the way that the data was collected was really creative. Um, it was some true and false, and it was thumb up and thumb down, and and um, they really did a nice a nice job of of creating a survey that the kids could give us reasonably decent data for. Maybe we could send the same one to parents. <laughs> thumb up or a thumb down. They're going to want to send more. Than... <laughs> yes. We do see that schools that uh, offer this to parents as well, and that's something that we could um, roll out separately or at the same time as, um, as what we put out for students um, and staff members. Uh, we do see that then um, oftentimes with the districts that we do focus groups with following surveys, um, there's a lot of buy-in and appreciation for uh, having that vehicle to collect their, um, their, their input. Thank you. Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Um, yeah, appreciate the, uh, the presentation as well. Um, in terms of try, like next steps with data, um, you mentioned that there's, we've got to have caution around drawing conclusions from frequency data. Um, you mentioned some of the questions we don't have benchmarking data around. Um, the uh, around some of the questions and then obviously the qualitative coding has its limitations in terms of drawing conclusions from um, given the amount of data that we have in front of us um, how do you work with dr. noon and his team to try to figure out next steps I mean I imagine this is like dumping a thousand new crayons in front of a child and asking them to figure out to pick a color um, and, and all of these different choices and charts and and there's a, a lot that we can dig into so how do you pull this together, how do you advise districts on how to move forward and how to work with this? Sure, great question. Um, we typically do that through those Making Feedback Matter workshops. Um, it allows, and, and we go through data very similarly to what we did here, um, but without the arrows. That was more to help streamline a lengthy presentation um, into a shorter amount of time for you all. Um, but we really allow uh, the administrators and school leaders to identify what um, they feel are the most salient points, what are the most actionable, what are ones that need to be addressed in some way, shape, or form, and then encourage them to come to an agreement on which pieces of information tie together with one another and um, and are action have some sort of action around them. And so it's a lot of discussion um, within the, the group that's, uh, that's within those workshops. We then um, help them through the process of creating an action plan that includes steps for follow-up and accountability um, so that ideally you could um, follow up with say a, a smaller survey or focus groups uh, at a certain point in time to evaluate the process and how is that, um, how is that impacting these pieces of, of, uh, of data, these perceptions among these groups. Um, and so it's really led by the, the school leaders and administrators that are participating um, in those workshops and creating those action plans. So from a, from a research standpoint, it's more of led by the kind of the policy side of how the district is interpreting it versus any kind of uh, research analysis around this. Is that what you're saying? Given the limitations of how the data was collected? Um, not even necessarily around the limitations of the data. Um, while we do 
have that that cautionary piece at the beginning we want you to, to recognize that this is not 100 percent of the students and you did have some students that that didn't respond we can see that there was equal or representation across multiple demographics um however we we can't know for 100 certainly that those that did not respond uh feel the same as those that do respond so we always indicate that there could be a chance that those that didn't respond feel differently from those that did. Um, however, um, the changes, the priorities, um, again, not, nothing that's going to be done is going to be taking anything away from students. And so if you do absolutely nothing with the data, you're already doing everything um, that you're currently doing, right? Ch making any changes uh, based on the data isn't going to take anything away um, from what's being done, but maybe prioritize some items um, that may have been uh, prioritized differently without the data, or perhaps the action plans um, would be a little bit different. Uh, but um, anything that's being done isn't going to be taking things away from students or negatively impacting students. You know, if we were um, around a, a board focusing on a cancer treatment and we were going to be administering you know, different medications to different folks that, that could have a, an adverse reaction, um, I would I would probably feel differently about how we um, go about making those, uh, those action plans. Um, but with regard to the action plans and priorities, uh, you know, nothing that you do is going to be taking anything away or negatively. I'll also add that um, one of the things that we saw in these data were also confirmatory to some things that we thought might be going on. So for example, um, there were questions at the secondary level in particular around feedback. We knew that there have been some struggles with feedback and this survey just was confirmatory. So it gives us a chance now to sort of double down, if you will, on this notion of feedback and collecting it. But I also wanted to let this, the board know that as the, the principals and their staff and their teachers and their uh, teams are working with these these data in the in the super awesome making um, feedback matter sessions um, that the, the action plans that come out of that will be part of their school planning documents and so we'll be able to progress monitor those throughout the year to see if what they've actually implemented are making a difference and if it's not making a difference or isn't making a positive difference then we perhaps either need to pull back or modify or adapt but um, the data, again, that we saw in there, I think is, there's a lot of it that's really actionable, um, but there's a lot of it that was really confirmatory as well. Thank you. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, because I don't have the opportunity, I wish I did, but because I don't have the opportunity to be in your schools, um, it would be unreasonable for me to look strictly at the data and then say, here's what you all need to focus on moving forward. Oftentimes, and Dr. Noonan, you mentioned this, this is a piece you may have already been working on um, or a piece that, uh, you know, with the context, the knowledge and history of the school itself, um, you can get a better feel or understanding for why something uh, was reported the way it was. So our goal is to lead um, those school leaders in, um, in understanding the data. Uh, again, I included those arrows um, for streamlining the, the process for you all today. We include those key insights again to help folks uh, kind of see the, the points that stuck out to us, but they're certainly not to say these are what you should be focusing on. 
Thank you. Uh, and I'll just throw in a couple quick comments before we close this out. Um, so Dr. Noonan, you, you spoke about uh, the principals doing more of a deep dive. And I found it interesting that the elementary, um, they talked the students indicated that it was maybe a lack of rigor that they weren't a little more challenged. And then you hit the secondary and it's way too challenging. Um, but you know, one thing I would just throw in there is um, not to get into the debate of homework, but back in the day when my older ones were at Mount Daniel and at back then Thomas Jefferson, um, there was optional homework that was sent home. And so it was sort of a nice thing for kids who wanted some additional challenge, but it wasn't required. So that just throw that out there. Um, but you know, one of the things I, that struck me was um, this theme about that um, they, that some students didn't feel that the um, lessons teach, that they didn't, teachers weren't making the connection between what was being taught in class and the outside world. And I think to me, that's a huge piece about IB, right? And so I think we do, I'm sure you all know, figured this out, you know, already agree with me that just double down, doubling down on that because that's a, that's a huge piece of IB. Um, and then just finally, I would just ask, um, can you remind me, so at the high school level, we're, we're doing the block scheduling, is that right? With the 90-minute classes? Middle and high. Middle and high, okay. And again, I know that's a, a huge can of worms, but I do know that I've heard from my own kids and other kids that that's when you talk about kids having, sometimes trying not, having trouble focusing, it's because I think sometimes those classes, 90 minutes can get long. It's all about how you use it. <laughs> no, I, maybe I, that's right. Seriously, that's, I mean, yeah, if, you're, yeah. if you're using it appropriately, like a good 90-minute block where you're mixing instructional pedagogy and right. not lecturing for 90 minutes, you're going to be better. I mean, right. the idea behind a 90-minute block was to be able to go into depth and complexity and the content. Mm -hmm. And if we have folks that aren't necessarily doing that, that's a, that's a training issue for us right. to take right. a look at. Great. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, I think that is it. Thank you very much, Kate, for this really helpful presentation. I think it was uh, just so informed us all, and we look forward to really working with you in the future and really doing some of this um, long-term tracking of this data. And uh, we just thank you again. We, you put it in a very um, easily digestible format for us, and I think um, parents and teachers and staff who are watching this will enjoy this as well and get a lot out of it. So thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you all. It was a pleasure to uh, visit with you this afternoon. Um, I, Peter has my email address. If there's any follow-up that you need, um, please, uh, Peter, would you mind sharing that? That's Peter Weilenman. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we, we'll share it if uh, there are questions. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Y'all have a great evening. Thank you. You Thank too. You. Okay, we're going to, that was great. We're going to move on now to section uh, 2.02, our strategic plan presentation. And I will swing it back over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, uh, Chair Downs, and good evening, everybody, again. Um, that's really Timmy. Yeah, where's the feedback? Where's that coming from? Do we know? Anyway, maybe it was mine. Anyway. Um, it is uh, an absolute um, pleasure to be here tonight to talk about um, our, our new strategic plan. Um, and, and let me take you back a little bit to um, my, my arrival in, in Falls Church City was five years ago. And when I arrived, there was a triennial plan that was in place that needed to be updated. I've told you this story before, but just for the good of the cause, one more time. Um, we did update the triennial plan that first year to make it a little bit more strategic because what the plan had originally been was more of a working type plan. 
And so in the second year of being here uh, as superintendent, I was able to successfully um, navigate with our team and with staff and, and everyone else to move through that triennial plan and put together some measures and metrics. And we came up with a sort of red, yellow, and green light um, system so we could see how we were doing and we reported that each year um, to the board and then the board would adopt that triennial plan uh, for the following year. Well, that triennial plan um, was cooking right along uh, and was about to expire right when COVID hit. And COVID hit and we had said uh, prior to COVID that there was going to be a time where we needed to really take a step back and think about doing a true deep dive strategic plan that had significant feedback from all of our stakeholders, including our students and our parents, business owners, um, staff, and the like. And um, this year, as we um, had a little opening of opportunity, if you will, um, to, to begin the process, we did. And tonight we get to share with you the fruits of the labor of, um, of, this, of this work. Um, last week, while we were in preparation for Vice President Harris and EPA Director Regan to come, there was a final um, call with Ed Elements, who is the, the group that we worked with to put this together. And they went through, they being the team that was available to go through the presentation, because some of us were working with the Secret Service and the White House staff and the like to put together the presentation. And this morning when we had a meeting uh, to follow, or Monday morning, yesterday, when we had our, our regular weekly meeting with the team to say, okay, how did you divide the plan up for a presentation? They all looked at me, and I'm looking at them now, and said, oh, we're just making you do it. So, um, so tonight, you get a full dose of me talking about the strategic plan. That being said, I do want to take just a second um, to thank the folks around the table for their incredible support um, of this work. And William Bates, our Chief Academic Officer, Dr. Peter Weilandman, who was part of it as Director of Assessment, Tricia Minson, uh, Legal Counsel, COO, uh, Kristen Michael, I see uh, Marty Goodell down there, our, our Chief of, uh, I want to say Chief of Staff, but she's the Chief of Everything. Um, John Brett, our Director of Communications, Rebecca Sharp, our Director of Special Services, and Mary Beth Conley, our Director of Community Outreach, uh, have all been instrumental in pulling this together and truly has been, I think, um, in some ways a labor of love for, for us over the last year. Because the one thing that I think we wanted more than anything this year was some glimmer of hope of coming out of it. And I think the beauty of a strategic plan is it gives you hope. It gives you hope for not just today, but for the future. Um, so, so tonight, I'm excited to share with you um, this strategic plan not only plays for us, I think, a critical role uh, in our efforts to really redouble the efforts of our organization and focus on continuous improvement, but this plan also, in, in many ways, represents an emergence out of COVID um, as we think towards the future. Um, it really is designed um, with so many people involved to, to really think about being the premier K-12 or pre-K-12 international baccalaureate school division in the country. And this will strengthen, in many ways, um, our schools and our division um, and certainly our students to continue becoming internationally minded. Um, before I do go any further, I want to thank three other people that couldn't be with us tonight, but all of you have met, I think, at one point or another. And all three of them were incredibly helpful in, in pulling this together, led, led by Natalie Woods uh, from Ed Elements. Um, many of you remember probably in your 
uh, focus group meeting with Natalie. Um, Natalie was the leader of the group and just did an incredible job helping keep us organized, keeping us sorted. Uh, and when I go through the timeline, um, keeping us in many ways sort of on the hook uh, because we extended the timeline much beyond what I think any of them expected. Um, she was supported tremendously by Porvi Patel. Uh, Porvi was an incredible source for us uh, as we worked through this to help us pull data together to really look at and review what the data said and what the data was telling us to pour into this and then helped us also organize to be able to put it in um, meaningful um, and actionable terms for our division. And lastly, Katie Rediger. Um, Katie works with EE also uh, and had a hand in supporting uh, Porvi and Natalie as well through this process and we're thankful uh, for Katie as well. So let me um, move on, if I can, um, to our timeline. Um, and this is where uh, we began and we're, we're sort of ending. Um, and, and today is not the first time you all will have seen the strategic plan. I uh, was able to, to put it out a, a couple of Fridays ago as sort of the near final. Um, I'm, I'm judging from um, the, the feedback that it's very positive and everybody's feeling good about what you saw. Um, but this does go all the way back to August 21st. And when we met with the team from EE on, on August, uh, or August of 21, not August 21st, but August of 21, we fully anticipated that this would be complete in December. And we would have time in December to make modifications to the budget for the following year so that we could then roll out some of the priorities that ended up being identified in our strategic plan. Well, um, it comes to find out, we came to find out that during the engagement process, there are a lot of people in the City of Falls Church that want to be engaged and have a lot to say. And that's a great thing, but it also extended the timeline for us. So we ended up um, needing to take until really now uh, to complete this process. But what you see on the screen is you see the three-phased approach that they took, starting with planning and alignment. Um, we did have a kickoff meeting in August of 21. Um, we had a kickoff meeting with the steering committee, and I'll talk about the governance structure of this as we go through the presentation. Um, but we had that, that kickoff meeting with the um, steering team in October. From there, we had our stakeholder or our foundations portion of this project where we got stakeholder input and feedback. And that was all of November, December, and even into January. And then in January, um, we did some prioritization sessions with our, our governance structure. Um, communications sessions, some design review sessions, um, and then more design re review sessions, and then one more design review session um, because we didn't quite have it the way we wanted it and um, were able to provide some strong feedback and we landed where we are. Uh, and again, we're really excited about, um, about sharing it with you tonight. With respect to stakeholder engagement, again, that sort of happened October, November, and even in December. Um, we had over a thousand people total from the City of Falls Church participate in this, in this project. Um, we offered a number of opportunities for people to be able to chime in from um, a survey that we sent out to all stakeholders in both English and in Spanish. Uh, and that, that response um, yielded 521 people, giving us really good feedback to tell us what do they want to see in our school system now and into the future. What do they care most about um, and how, how might that become actionable. Um, the second was we had a number of focus groups. In fact, you all were one of the focus groups that was um, seen by 
um, ed elements, but the focus groups included students, it included, included community members, and a number of teachers and faculty focus groups were also signed up. Um, on top of that, we had over 200 people participate in these focus groups and in other town hall opportunities that we offered. Um, I did a virtual town hall uh, as well that brought 86 people in to share kind of what we were trying to accomplish and looking for feedback. And all of those data were collected um, in, in raw form and yielded uh, nearly a ream of paper of feedback from all of those different groups that then was um, really reviewed and, and aggregated and disaggregated by the teams of people that were identified to come and work on this plan. And so I, I do want to thank everyone who participated um, publicly because without this uh, engagement from the community, and when I say community, I mean everybody um, in our school community, we wouldn't be able to represent, I think, the, the needs, desires, and wants of, of such a, a broad group of people. Um, so included in this engagement, um, we tried to get out into the community and meet people where they were. Um, so we had a number of different community events, including one that we have here at Berman Park, where we brought in um, some Spanish um, translators to help us with that and interpreters. Um, in the town hall, we're also available. Um, and then we did do that community assessment in both English and Spanish so that we could catch at least our top, um, our top second language in the City of Falls Church. So what did we hear um, that really led to sort of where we landed or ended up in this process? Um, certainly academics and instruction to the, to the stakeholders in the City of Falls Church is extremely important. And that came out loudly and clearly across all groups. Um, but it was very favorable. Um, you know, you've heard the expression before, we moved here for the schools. Now, not everybody moved here for the schools. I understand that. But we heard that a lot um, in these community outreach sessions. Um, there were a, a number of stakeholder groups that came together and were concerned at the time that there were voices missing and that became actionable information for us even to modify, adapt, and change how we were collecting data on the fly, which led to then Spanish-speaking opportunities at Berman Park and utilizing um, other, other translation services. Um, our, our parents really felt like um, they needed to, we needed to focus on personali personalization of instruction. Um, and many of them felt that it was student-centered um, and really meant to be by name and by need, but there was a significant number of parents who were concerned that maybe that didn't always happen. Um, and then a desire for more flexibility to allow for more social-emotional learning. And, I, and it's interesting to um, dovetail this presentation with the one that was just done with the climate survey, because we, we heard some of the same things that showed up in that climate survey from our, our students and from our staff. And that is that there's a real desire as we leave, um, not leave, but as we learn to live with, perhaps, is a better way to say it, COVID, um, that we need to really double down, if you will, on social and emotional learning. And that, that was something that came up in instruction. Um, with respect to IB, um, nearly 61% of our community um, expressed a real lack of clarity around what the International Baccalaureate Program is and isn't. Um, and we found that to be interesting because one, of the, one thing that we've tried to do over the last several years was really express what it is and that all of our kids pre-K through 
10th grade are in the International Baccalaureate program and as a consequence of that get the approaches to teaching, get the approaches to learning, and also participate in all of those um, aspects of, of the IB program and the learner profile. Um, but we haven't, it doesn't sound like we've done a good enough job with that um, as much as we've tried. Uh, in fact, we, we had one um, uh, president of a PTA or former PTA president uh, who shall remain nameless who said to that question, I don't even know what IB means. And so that's a big deal. Um, and, and if we're going to be the international premier division, we, we have to make sure everybody's understanding. Um, our instruction, and this was interesting to me, our instructional employees scored the lowest uh, in terms of how they infuse approaches to learning, approaches to teaching, and the learner profile into their, uh, into their curriculum and instruction, while at the same time our students scored the highest that they see it in all of their curriculum and instruction. So it was a really interesting sort of juxtaposition of two ideas. The kids are getting it, they're seeing it, but the teachers could, that could perhaps mean that our teachers and staff would like to do more. Um, and so, so you'll see that in some of our results. And then our, our um, parents of color, our black and Hispanic families, um, more frequently answered don't know to some of the questions. And, and again, that was a good piece for us to understand as we look at um, IB, for example. Under a caring culture, um, people responded um, that they do not see themselves in the curriculum, um, which contributes to not feeling cared for. And that, in combination with some of the things that we heard in the cultural audit, are really interesting. For example, do we make the curriculum and instruction that we do relevant? Do students see the relevance to the work that they're doing? Or how might, how might we be able to select materials and resources that are reflective of more cultures? Um, and so that was something that we took note of in the, in the data. Um, there was a significant um, difference between how our minority groups um, responded um, specifically around safety and I think it's more emotional safety um, perhaps than it is physical safety but it's probably both um, and and so that was really good information for us to look at um, some lack of clarity to who, who to go for to for help so some common themes and 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 um, uh, Dr. Gould in some ways this sort of triangulates in, in many ways some of the data that we saw in the other survey because it matches up to some of this, these data that we're seeing plus what we've heard from uh, on the ground. And then recognition of the impact of the trauma and stress on students and staff was something that we needed to pay attention to. With respect to equity, um, again these are just high level takeaways from the data. Students and parents wanted to see more inclusion and representation in the curriculum books, uh, curriculum books and instructional staff. Um, wanted to see more uh, commitment to be, being able to walk the talk. We do a really great job, I think, about talking about equity, but are there ways that we can continue to build our practice so that we are consistently working in ways that are consistent, consistently working in ways um, of really a strong equity focus. Um, parents and community really felt like they needed to be engaged in the equity conversations as we move forward and providing safe spaces in schools for uh, people to share their experiences. Some other trends we heard in terms of organizational resources um, were time and workload of staff. Um, and, and some of this has been um, addressed or beginning to be addressed uh, through this most recent budget cycle. And as you may recall, when we 
put the budget together this past year for next year, we did put a section in and, and aligned it to the new strategic plan because we knew that that would be useful. So for example, thinking about um, resources uh, to help with teacher workload um, went in and teacher working additions, allocation and use of resources, a desire for systematic processes that are proactive rather than reactive, and then also thinking about staff, <coughs> staff health. And then in communications, we heard that the newsletters and morning announcements continue to be very popular, um, but there was a disconnect between feeling communicated to, but maybe not having a chance to communicate with um, the school system, and maybe too much information, um, and how might we curate information uh, and get messages more aligned, and a need for translation for written communication as well as phone audio. So these were excuse me, some of the high-level aggregate conversations that were sort of happening that became the drivers and many of the inputs as we started to put together um, the strategic plan. So here you'll see the governance structure <coughs> around the strategic plan that came together. We had a project team, um, a steering team, and then we had a design and outreach team. And each of those teams had very different um, uh, missions, if you will, and the steering or the project team, which was uh, most of the people here at the table, really didn't have anything to do with putting together the, the strategic plan. And that was the beauty of developing the strategic plan with the community was it's not the, the Peter Noonan plan or it's not the, you know, Kristen Michael plan or the William Bates plan. This is really a community plan. And we were really, when we boiled down some of our responsibilities, it came to we need to order the food, we need to schedule the rooms, we need to make sure the commas are in the right places and things like that. But we became sort of the organizers of the work. The real heroes in this work were the steering team and the design and outreach team. These were the teams that were sort of on the ground, um, really representing a variety of different roles and a variety of different backgrounds that focused on the development of what you'll see as focus areas and key elements that became part of the plan. And then the design and outreach um, team really helped us refine um, some of the work with respect to those key topics, priorities, and, and interest. And then also became, in some ways, champions of the work out in the community as they were meeting with others. And it was really a nice structure for us to be able to work, work within. So a number of times, um, people came together. We did both in-person and we did um, virtual. Uh, sessions as well. Um, here is uh, just a couple of photographs of, of some folks that were there. We used the, the media center at the high school for a number of our meetings um, when we were in person. Uh, and then, of course, we're online a lot with each other. Um, and then here are just a few quotes from what we heard from the planning teams about the process. And, and I, I just want to read a couple of them to you. Um, and the first one is, we did good work surrounding the values, work, and possibilities of FCCPS. And again, when we think about coming out of this, um, the, the current crisis and thinking about how to live with COVID, one of the things that we're determined to have is this, this idea of possibility and the idea of hope. Um, intentional planning, modeling, and effective instructional design, engagement strategies, balance of relationship building with work products was another comment that was made. There's been so much time and dedicated work on this strategic plan. It's great to see a finished product, product with so much collaboration and input. 
And then the last one, which I think just speaks to all of it, is that we're proud to have served and work with great group, a great group of professionals. Um, and these came from people that were on the teams. And again, we're, we're incredibly thankful uh, for all of them. So the teams designed the strategic direction that include a num included a number of parts. And um, I'm saying this more for the community than perhaps, um, perhaps the folks that are in this room because we've all lived it and, and worked it to this point. Um, but mission, vision, values, and strategic areas sort of fell to a variety of different um, governance teams. So the mission and vision really was um, supported by the project team, but it really was the steering team that did the vast uh, majority of the work in terms of drafting and finalizing um, that mission and vision. The values portion um, and the strategic focus, well, the values portion really became part of the project team. And then the strategic focus areas within each of those um, uh, areas of emphasis um, came from our steering team along with the project team as well. So as I go through, it'll make a little bit more sense. Um, so here's where we landed with our, our Falls Church City mission. Um, we, have a, a, we have one here for the plan itself, and that is that the Falls Church City Public School Strategic Plan will shape the work of the school board and division staff over the next five years. All aspects of the strategic plan are purposefully calibrated to bring FCCPS's mission and vision to life. And, and the way we started with our mission and vision was we took what was there and we really sort of had the conversation, is this who we are, is this who we still represent, and is this still who we want to be? Um, so the mission statement is really meant to indicate why we exist as an organization, and the vision statement is really meant to say how do we bring that mission alive. So the mission statement is, as a premier international baccalaureate school division, FCCPS personalizes learning to support each child's unique needs and to prepare every student to be responsible a responsible, caring, and internationally minded citizen. That hasn't changed substantively from what we had before, but it's, it's, um, it's responsive to what we heard through the, the data that we collected from our, our stakeholder groups. And the one thing that's interesting that's in there that also was in the culture audit was about personalization and really the need to continue to personalize the experiences for our students. Um, and then our vision is to create a student-centered, innovative learning environment where students belong, are included, and empowered to excel. We foster the IB learner my mindset to help every child develop skills necessary to succeed beyond the classroom. And that really then ultimately brings that mission to life. So our core values um, are those underlying um, values that will, will continue to drive everything that we do as a system. And these came from our, our, all of our stakeholder groups and were agreed to by everybody that was um, part, of this, part of this process. And the first is being a student-centered community where every academic, um, relational, financial, and operational decision will be made with students' needs in mind. Meaning that um, we're, we're not gonna make decisions based on what's in the best interest of the people around this table, we're gonna make the decisions that we make in the best interest of our students to make sure that they're getting the very best of us in, in every single way. And there are a variety of ways that that plays out in a school organization um, and, and, and you've seen that uh, before. The next is being responsive and accountable. Um, we continue to um, be committed to great communication. 
Um, that's something that uh, we know uh, that we want to be listened to. We also want to be understood. But at the same time, we want to listen and we also want to understand what our community is, is telling us. And in many ways, this gave us a great opportunity to do that. Um, again, uh, a significant focus on academic success, where every student engages um, at, the, at their level and, and allows uh, students to become not only uh, prepared for post-secondary, whatever that looks like for a student, um, that we want them to leave prepared for whatever experience they go into, um, but also become lifelong, lifelong successes. Um, that's something that we're excited about. Being an inclusive and diverse community, um, and so that means focusing on inclusivity and diversity, and then finally, um, thinking about community and connection. So those became our core values that we based all of our, and will continue to base all of our decisions on. The next is about our collective commitments. And these um, oftentimes are norms by which we ground our work in. And I won't read them all to you, um, but there are a couple that I want to just make sure that I call to your attention. The first one is, again, being student-centered. The student should be at the heart of everything that we do. Um, the next is we want to continue to maintain competitive and um, uh, competitive in the marketplace when it comes to salaries and benefits. We also want to make sure that our students that aren't learning at the same time and at the same rate as their peers get the extra time and support necessary to be successful. And lastly, we want to interrogate and dismantle policies and practices that in any way are a route to inequity for our community. And, and you all have done that incredibly over the last um, several years. Which then leads us to our, to the big five, if you will. And, and um, I, I, can I say what we think our, our, our um, slogan is going to be for next year? We, we, no? Yes? I'm seeing some yes, some no. So we think our, I'm going to just do it. Um, we think that our slogan for next year is going to be FCCPS's vital signs. Um, and the vital signs, if you will, are these. IB-infused teaching and learning wellness, equity, and belonging, resource management and continuous improvement, communication and engagement, and investing in our people. These are the wayposts uh, or waypoints by which we're going to measure our success. So they are our vital signs. We're going to check our heartbeat, um, which then is IB-infused teaching and learning. We're going to, I actually should not go down the road of what the vital signs are. Anyway, um, so you see what they are, and they're clearly um, documented to the right of the interpretation. And this is what, by the way, this is what took quite a while for us. Um, there's a lot of wordsmithing when you have over a thousand people looking at this and giving feedback. So um, you'll see what all of those definitions are. But those are our big areas of focus. So let's scroll down to IB infused teaching and learning. Um, and now what you'll start to see is taking this big idea and beginning to drill down a little bit further on. So what are those actions that we're going to take to ensure that we're focused on IB-infused um, te IB teaching and learning. So the right, what you'll see are one, two, three, four key actions. And it has a, um, a, a color coding, lighter to darker. And it goes from research to development to implementation to review and refinement to implementation. So the first key action is, for example, Ensure that everyone in the community understands the purpose of IB and how FCCPS is implementing it. We learned quickly that 61% didn't know what it was that we're talking about when we're talking about the International Baccalaureate Program. 
So that's early on the agenda uh, for us to take care of. But first on the agenda is to develop structures and processes that allow innovation and deep reflection on the IB curriculum, including approaches to teaching and learning and collaboration across grades. And the reason that we know that that's earlier in the process is because it's lightest on the left-hand side. So if you look at light to dark, you'll see the years uh, in which we will implement, um, uh, we'll start with research, we'll move to development, we'll go to implementation, um, and then review and refinement and em embedded. And of course, what I just said to you is not exactly right. Our first one that we are in implementation on is that very first one. So this year, we're going to spend time really working with our community and holding IB forums and looking at different ways that we can get the word out about what the IB program is. And the reason that we know it's implementation is because that color yellow pretty much matches the 2022 um, timeline at the top. Um, so that's, that's sort of a, a quick orientation to how this is put together. Um, the lighter it is, um, the more research and development that will go into it. So for example, when we think about developing those curriculum and resources that are um, aligned and representative of a global community, um, we need to do some research about that. What exactly does our curriculum look like now? How does it match up with what it says in here? And how might we do better with it going forward? So we're going to uh, begin that process um, with some review of our curriculum doing some more research, um, getting IB involved. Then we'll move into the development of the plan itself. We'd then move into implementation. And then the review and refinement piece is really important to us because at that stage, we get a chance to see is, what we get a chance to see is, is what we've put into action actually making a difference? And if not, do we need to refine it? Do we need to, um, or do we need to strategically abandon it? because there are things that oftentimes good organizations will look at and say, this isn't making any difference in what we're trying to do as part of our mission. So instead of continuing to do it and put resources into it, let's back up from it, strategically abandon it, and then move on with something else. So that's IB-infused uh, teaching and learning. And now that you get sort of the process from moving from light to dark, um, you'll see in wellness, equity, and belonging, um, one of the key actions that we're going to focus on <clears throat> sooner rather than later is that middle one because it's a little bit darker on the left-hand side, and that's ensuring that all stakeholders understand how to navigate FCCPS's system to provide equitable access. We want to make sure that all of our families, regardless of race or ethnicity or language acquisition um, or, or any, anything that might be a barrier for coming to talk to us or be part of our community, is addressed quickly. Um, so, so I'm going to quickly scroll through the next three, resource management and continuous improvement. Um, this has two key actions. They're a little bit lighter, so they're going to be more in research for a couple of years and then into development and implementation. We get into communication and engagement. The first key action there is darkest, so overcoming barriers to effective communication to include language accessibility and technology is something we'll be in implementation on right away. And then lastly, investing in our people. You'll see the earliest key action there is that very first one because it's darkest on the left. Um, but that's developing and implementing system-wide professional learning, uh, a plan that is responsive to the needs of employees, providing opportunities for improved job performance, growth, and leadership. And that is among some of the greatest myths that our folks have had during COVID. 
We have really felt stagnated as an organization. Our teachers have told us that. We feel that way as leaders. Um, but we would really like to get back into um, honing our craft and, and honing our ability to do our work um, as, as school folks. So, so what does it mean if we're in implementation? Um, and, and here we are. These are the key actions that are for this first year going to be in implementation. And again, you'll see where they fall. The first one's in IBE. The next one's in wellness, equity, and belonging. The next is in community, uh, communications and engagement. Uh, and then this year will, uh, this coming year will also be in development for IB-infused teaching and learning, wellness, equity, and belonging, and investing in our people. So we are putting together now, um, and we couldn't do this before because we didn't have the strategies or the key actions that we would be working on. So over the summer, and I'll, I'll share with you that this sample worksheet is that we are going to pull together teams that will be working on those that are going to specifically be in implementation this first year to develop an implementation plan <clears throat> that not only has milestones but will also have metrics associated with those milestones and then what outcomes look like and show over time whether it's quarterly, whether it's um, in a semester period of time, where will we be at each of those waypoints? And we'll be checking in uh, at least twice a year um, to get information from the teams that will have been working. So let me give you an example just quickly. I'm going to back up to this slide. And let's say we're going to create innovative opportunities for learning and growth tied to the IB Learner Profile. One of the implementation plans that will go with that is the development of our Sustainability Academy. It is absolutely innovative and it's certainly tied to the IB program. So William will be the team lead for, likely be the team lead for this implementation plan. And then he's going to recruit members to be part of the team. Probably Ray Ruwar, probably Carrie Pollack, probably Kenny George, probably, you know, all those folks, but others as well that will come onto that team. And together, they will begin to map out what does success look like by the end of this year and then plan backwards from that point with milestones and, and, um, and outcomes listed. Then on a routine basis, they will come back and report out on their progress. As part of that progress report, if you will, they'll be asking for things like what, or asking, being asked, what resources do you need to help support your work? Um, how, how might um, leveraging other people's strengths be able to help you? But in the end, we, we will put our resources towards these strategic focus areas um, moving ahead. But this is just an example of what one of those might look like. And again, we couldn't do these in advance of having what we're sharing with you tonight, but look forward to beginning to dig in. So as we look ahead um, this summer, kind of what I was saying, we're going to establish those teams to develop that strategic focus area. Um, we'll draft measures for success and establish milestones and metrics. Um, then in the fall, um, whoever is leading that team along with the team will kick off um, their projects, but we're also going to kick this off as part of the convocation um, with all of our teachers to share this is our strategic direction for the next five years. These are the five areas of focus that we're going to be really committed to. The staff was part of this plan in a very intentional and a very meaningful way, and they had a voice, and it wasn't a simply ask and then we're just going to move ahead. It was much more meaningful than that, um, and everyone had a seat at the table that wanted one, which was really important. 
Um, then uh, we'll work with teams to develop those action plans, provide updates to stakeholders, and then in the winter, we'll check progress of the milestones, review measures of success, and then do a retrospective early in the winter to see, are we making progress? And if not, why not? If so, how so? And what resources might you need to build into the budget for the coming year to help take that next step with your project? Um, so these are the strategic areas of focus again. Um, and, and this kind of goes to, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them again, and tell them again. So these are the five areas that we really are focusing on um, with some um, language, again, to the right that sort of more clearly defines it. Um, we're very excited um, about what we're sharing with you tonight. And let me uh, very quickly flip over to this, uh, which is the strategic plan lined out, and it will be in a um, a format that will be outward facing, that we'll be able to share with the community, um, that in, in some ways becomes collateral that we share out at job fairs, we share at community events, uh, we can share in other places. But as you scroll through, one of the first things you'll see is a letter from the chair and myself talking about these uh, five areas of focus. Then we get into uh, mission, vision, core values, collective commitments, scrolling quickly just so you see it, um, the focus areas with the timelines for those key actions. I love that picture, by the way. <laughs> they just look like they're having fun. Uh, wellness, equity, and belonging. Get into resource management and con continuous improvement. I also love that picture of the new high school. I love them all. They're great. Uh, communication and engagement. Investing in our people. That's Cindy Morell. Cindy is our Assistant Director of Food Services, and she won the Support Employee of the Year Award this year. And then we get into who were on the project teams. And I think that that's really important because I think people in our community want to know um, how they were represented. So um, with that, Madam Chair, we've got the entire, um, the entire project team here this evening, um, and we would be happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, but my, my hope is that you can hear the excitement in our, our voice, or my voice, I'm speaking for them um, as well, uh, about this work and look forward to um, hopefully having you all adopt this as the division strategic plan at our next regular meeting. Um, and that night, what we'd like to do is invite everyone who was involved to be there um, to participate in that, that celebration of um, the, the plan. So turn it over to you. Thank you very much, Dr. Noon. Great presentation. And I definitely remember the good old triennial plan. And it's nice to see this brand spanking new, uh, shiny uh, strategic plan. And everyone just extending my thanks to everyone in the room and community members and teachers and staff, everyone who was involved in giving input in this uh, great plan. And I'll turn it over to the board. Who would like to ask a question or anyone have a comment? Dr. Dimmick. Thank you. I, I, I would like to thank everyone who's here. I participated on the outreach and design team. And I, I really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the dialogue and the exchange. And it, it, really, it really was a group effort. Um, and so, but 
that group effort happen because of your leadership. So thank you very much for everything you did. And it is very exciting. And I, I look forward to seeing how it takes shape with, it sounds like a very busy summer planned um, to, to hit the fall running. So, nice job. Thank you. Thank you. No comments. I have a quick, uh, quick, two quick comments. Um, one is you um, had talked about the communicating with leadership, and I think that just goes back to Ms. Tice's point about maybe perhaps we think about doing a parent survey in, in a year or two to come, you know, because I think parents definitely get a lot of information coming out, but sometimes feel like they can't, they don't have an opportunity to give it back. So I think that just sort of um, echoes your point there, Ms. Tice. Um, and then the other piece I just thought is I know that we have a new um, page in the Falls Church News Press, and I think the strategic focus areas, that one pager would be great to run in the newspaper as sort of a, you know, a quick um, summary for the community to to understand what, what you all, the work you've been doing or, or something like that. But I, I was thinking, you know, just maybe also getting it out to the wider community as well. Yeah, we certainly can share that. Um, in case you don't know, that that page is being planned by a student from the Lasso uh, who we've, we've taken on as an intern. So I, we'll, we'll pass that on um, and give her the opportunity to add that as well because we think it would be a good place for it. Great, thank you. Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, just to echo uh, Dr. Dimmick's points uh, about, yeah, the amount of time is evident in this and really appreciate everybody's uh, leadership, participation, especially around this table and also the folks that are not at this table. Um, I'm I, curious about the, you know, the, I, I know we don't want to lock in the vital signs, but it's exciting to think about that as a possibility for pulling this out. I don't know if I'm getting you in more trouble with your team by talking about it. Um, but I, I don't know if there, you know, the, the concept that you talked about, like the teams and breaking up around each of the items and identifying their metrics. Um, it, would that be something that's really exciting to think about and have that kind of pulse uh, to use that pun? Um, would that be something that would be possible for like putting on a website that could be updated or I mean, what are the thoughts around how we could, how the community could see this given how much the community helped design this and, and give feedback on yeah, it? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let uh, John Brett take that one. He's getting more airtime ever the, <laughs> these days. The, the basics of the plan are already on the website. Go to the front page and click the strategic plan button and that's what you get. And uh, as we get into the, once you approve it, of course, uh, we'll get into the, uh, figure out how we're gonna report out and make that also public facing. But right now the, the basics of the, the timelines, they're all there as well as uh, most all of the information in, in, in that document. We recently, had, um, a, a, purchased a license to use Qualtrics, um, okay. which is a really great tool for us to be able to build out some things that show data in sort of a dashboard style. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we talked about a little bit yesterday very briefly was perhaps there could be a page that sort of shows at a glance what are the vital signs of, of the city of Falls Church, or Falls Church City Public Schools uh, within each of these and then you could kind of get your your bite your snack and your meal It's like you could look at a dashboard and see oh and I be infused, you know teaching and learning You know they this is kind of where it is on the dial And then if you click that you might be able to go a little bit deeper to see those project plans uh, And then if you went deeper on that level, there might be some notes associated with those project plans, too I think those are 
those are some things that we're trying to sort of sort through right now, but um, believe that it will be important for the community to see what the work is that we're doing within each of these different areas and how we're utilizing the resources of the public to, to make it happen too. That's great. Thanks. Yes. Yes, Ms. Connolly. I just want to add that there is a whole communications plan that we have put together to put all this out. So that's all in there, different groups that we'll be communicating with and different ways to get that word out. So once it's approved, you will see it in a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. Terrific. Thank you so much. The first, the first round of it might be going out this Friday to a couple community, um, I don't know, maybe in uh, some local businesses might get a chance to hear a little bit about the strategic plan as part of a retreat we're doing this, this week. Great. That's a hint. <laughs> Great. Yes, Ms. Tice. I'll just take a quick minute to say thank you also. I'm, um, I'm always so laser focused on and so practically minded that I love this action worksheet at the end that we can really keep tabs on. And I'm just excited for, to switch puns, like this, how this will put wind back in the sails and really kind of just reinvigorate um, a whole educational community that I know is so tired um, and, and, has, and has worked so hard. I'm really hopeful that this will this will really buoy them and give us all you know something really clear to look forward to so thank you so much i know how much work it was for everyone um and it just it's really impressive anyone else well thank you all thank you dr Ian, for this presentation and again on behalf of, of the school board thanks to everyone in this room thank you to those community members and students and teachers and parents all who contributed to this uh, strategic plan and exciting times ahead. And uh, we can't wait to see all the marketing roll out. Thank you, Ms. Connolly and, and Mr. Brett. And uh, you know, any way that we can support you, let us know. So thank you again. Absolutely. Well, you all are our ambassadors in the community. So uh, as we work on the collateral and as we work on the, the points of discussion, we, we hope that you'll be able to share it at your meetings that you go to with your um, organizations along with your um, you know committees and and the like so excited to to begin talking about this thank you and then we'll go ahead and then have that on the agenda for the next meeting for the formal vote okay yes okay great all right thank you all okay we'll be moving on now to section um, item number 2.03 the school calendar discussion and um, I will just kick that off. Uh, so you all, um, we ran a couple ads, speaking of, of uh, getting the word out, we did run a couple ads and morning announcements asking for the community to provide us feedback with um, what they'd like to see in a school calendar. We also, or not we, Dr. Noonan sent out a note to the staff, um, letting the staff know that they could contact Ms. Goodell to offer feedback on the school calendar. Uh, just to remind the public, um, the school calendar for the next uh, academic year has already been adopted, so we're not talking about 2022-2023, we're talking about um, years, the following year after that. So um, this is not for the upcoming year that's already been adopted. A uh, couple other things, one, just to bring everyone up to speed, uh, we, um, uh, Mr. Reidinger recently suggested uh, that we put some components of the cal school calendar into a policy. 
and this would prevent us from every year sort of trying to recreate the wheel here and so that we would have certain standards that as a board we agreed should be components of the school calendar and that would hopefully also um, make things easier on Dr. Noon and his staff um, because it'd be somewhat standardized and not having to go um, go over this every year and uh, having these these discussions and so um, that's why we asked up front for staff and um, the community members and parents to give us any feedback they have. Uh, did want to, you know, tonight we're going to keep it pretty high level because of um, we've, we're now, you know, past a two, two hour mark. So we're not going to go into huge detail tonight. We're not in any time, type of time crunch because, as I said, we, this is not for the upcoming year. We already have a calendar adopted for the upcoming year. Um, I think the goal would be either to try to adopt this policy in August or September so that Dr. Noon's staff does have it in the early fall and can start working on the, the calendar for the, for the following year. So um, just with those sort of, that sort of groundwork laid, um, I thought we could talk more high level tonight and, maybe, and then um, perhaps at the next meeting or the next work session, we'll, we'll, uh, Vice Chair Gould and Dr. Noon and I will talk about when to when this we would bring this up again it probably within the next meeting or two um, but tonight we maybe would talk more high level and then at the, the next time we talk we'll talk more specifically about um, the policy that mr. Reitinger has proposed so uh, I know that um, there's um, we have received quite a few emails and um, to give you just sort of uh, some of the items that people wrote to us about um, they wrote to us about some of them wrote about their priorities. Um, they wrote about start dates, whether they would like to see them see the school year start before or after Labor Day. They talked about the length of winter break, um, spring break, where, where we would put spring break, federal holidays, cultural holidays, and alignment with other districts. And so just with sort of that um, starting point, if anyone had any thoughts, um, in terms of, you know, some of, again, more high-level things you'd like to really see in a policy or just, um, you know, looking at what, thinking about the feedback we've received, let me know. Yes, Ms. Tice. Thank you. I just wanted to thank my colleagues that have really been so helpful um, help, helping us with this conversation and, and guiding it with Mr. Reitinger's um, uh, suggestion of a policy and Dr. Ortiz's um, chart helping us keep track of community input. and. Nobody wants to go backwards and start thinking about the masking debates, but there was a piece of that that remind of this that reminded me of that when people when we hear from community members, and people feel so strongly that they can somehow convince themselves that that's the only way. And it's been really interesting as I keep getting more and more feedback on the calendar. Um, and you say something like like the religious holidays and whether that's equity. Um, and I'm really struggling with that. I don't know what you know exactly what the right path forward is with something like that because you say equity, and there's a lot of different components to that. Are we talking about the equity of acknowledging all di different kinds of religions and respecting people's religious practices? Are we talking about equity in terms of providing childcare and um, the affordability and the access of childcare for families who don't have um, easy access to that on days off? Are we talking about the equity of um, special needs kids and we're here from those community members where even if we provided great opportunities within the community would those be accessible to their special needs kids on um, days off so I, I think that it's just important to remember when 
the community is wrestling with conversations um, like this, that there's not, it's not an easy answer. We're not going to please everybody. And it's really hard. And I appreciate that my colleagues are working hard to kind of balance all those competing interests. So um, with something like that, when, when I'm thinking about the religious holidays, I know um, some surrounding jurisdictions have tried to do things like um, religious observance days where um, the schools would be open and there would be a, it would be a school day, but there wouldn't be, you know, tests and field trips and important things like that. But I know that that also leaves out staff um, and staff where it's hard, it's hard for teachers to take a day off. Even if you say, you know, we'll give you the day off um, taking, are, are there options for our staff or our teachers, especially when it's a lot of work to put together plans? Are there creative solutions out there that anybody is aware of, or I don't know if anyone on staff or if Dr. Newton has heard of, um, ways to relieve the pressure of religious observance days for teachers, not just letting students know that they aren't going to miss an important test, but somehow lessening the burden for teachers to be able to take those days off. It's a great question, and it's one that we um, that that came to peak that we have been working on internally with our human resources department and um, Kristen Michaels, the COO. And one of the, um, and it was interesting in the context of the collective bargaining agreement or resolution that was being put together, we weren't really quick to change policy on leave. Um, there's a number of things that we need to look at with respect to leave, but religious leave is one of them. Um, a number of divisions that I've been in in the past have offered one or two days of staff um, to take for religious leave um, in addition to their sick leave and their personal leave, um, which is one of the things we have to resolve because everybody's leave right now is personal leave. They don't have any sick leave. Um, and most divisions have some sick and some personal. So our advocacy, I believe, would be um, to do some sick some personal and then potentially one or two days of religious leave so that those uh, employees that we have that, for example, observe the high holy days in the Jewish community uh, would be able to observe Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or both, depending on, um, depending on how many days we land on. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Uh, along those lines with um, the cultural holidays, so you know, I'm a Jewish single working mom here in the city. Um, I don't work on high holidays. I don't send my kids to high to school on high holidays. So I definitely understand the um, the need to respect other religions, the need to try to balance those interests. But I also tremendously feel the hardships that come onto. Um, that come on to single, you know, single parent households that come on to not, so I put myself into that category, um, other categories out there where it really is a hardship to have this, this choppiness of the schedule. Um, economically disadvantaged children whose parents cannot send them to the community center. I know it was suggested at the, during the last debate, uh, the last discussion of calendar of the calendar um, late, I think last November, we'll just hire a babysitter. You know, so many people in Falls Church City can do that and that can be an option. Um, for many though, that is not an option and even if they can't afford a babysitter, that's maybe not where they wanted to suspend their discretionary funds. 
Um, Eid is a very, and I know that Dr. Dimmick has, has really educated me on this issue. Um, it's because of its inaccuracy or, or I guess inability to predict when it's going to exactly fall. I know of people who asked for PTO from their employers and then couldn't change the date of their PTO, so or their paid time off. So they ended up having paid time off that Tuesday rather than that Monday. Um, I've talked to many, many special education families, um, and they cannot send their kids to the community center. That is not an option. They are both working in the families and in the household. And while we are receiving comments over email, I received you know, when I was knocking on doors during the campaign, this was one of the top highest topics that I heard about because this was in September and October that I was door knocking. And that's when the many of the holidays were falling and the hardships that this placed on families. And again, I'm Jewish. I would benefit from being closed on these days. Um, but it's not about what's best for me. I'm trying to look to see what's best for the community. Um, and other kids were just the choppiness of the schedule where kids need routine and they need predictability and you know you've got you know three days you know the week of um election day you know there was monday and tuesday off for teacher work days wednesday on thursday off friday on was so choppy um having a five-day weekend right at the beginning of school was really difficult for families um so while I strongly believe in equity in terms of respecting religious diversity, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who never puts an out of office on my email because I am self-employed, except for two days out of the whole year. I put an out of office on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and those are the only two days I'm out of office. I do not respond to anybody. But do I believe that schools should be open? Absolutely, because of these hardships. I feel them tremendously, and I know that other families feel them tremendously too. Um, I know that uh, Mr. Henderson last year had asked about Indigenous Peoples Day, and the, you know, are we gonna be closing for that as well? And the comment back to him was, no, we're gonna teach about it in the schools. And I think that's a fantastic way to handle the cultural diversity issue and respecting of holidays, staying open on these holidays and spending some time learning about the holidays. Um, that allows for our kids to have that cultural diversity and learn from it, but also at the same time, allowing children to still be in school, allowing that continuity of education that so many children need really supporting the families that might not have the resources, supporting the families that need school resources for their kids with special needs for so many reasons. I just wouldn't be supportive of closing on, on the cultural holidays. One other topic that I would like to see um, visited, and I don't know where um, opinion would be on this, is with the possibility of moving early release Wednesdays to an early release Friday. Um, again, for for, for working families, um, having a half day on a Friday, I'm going to, at least for me and, I'm, and for many parents that I've spoken to, having an early release Friday is just a lot easier on them than having an early release Wednesday. Um, sorry to take up so much time, but thank you. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Any other comments? Just a question about, um, do we know uh, our surrounding districts and how they're 
approving their calendars yet? Are they still year out? Because um, I do feel like there is a, uh, a strong push to make sure we respect or to some degree align based on some of the uh, or many of our staff uh, that come from different districts and have to ha have to make sure they either share spring breaks or days off with child care uh, to some of the issues uh, that Ms. Silverman raised. Yeah, um, the vast majority of the school divisions are adopting their calendars right around the same time we are. Um, I think we're typically one of the first or second to adopt. Uh, and it, in the last several years, Fairfax has been, Fairfax County has been the last to adopt. Um, it's, it, I will share candidly with everybody on the board that we've had a number of opportunities to talk with each other as superintendents and uh, the idea of collaborating on a regional calendar has not been successful. Um, and, and that makes it hard because so many of our people cross jurisdictions, um, but it's, it's not uh, for lack of trying by the staff. It's really the school boards that want to have their control over each of their independent calendars within their own districts. So, um, so I will say there is more alignment this coming year than there was this year uh, because uh, this, this year Fairfax County was the only district that decoupled um, uh, spring break from the Easter holiday and they really um, struggled in the community and put it back next year to be with Easter, the Easter holiday. And I, it's my understanding too, this upcoming year, Fairfax has adopted the religious holidays that they didn't have this past That's year. That's correct. Right? They also are recognizing the, the four religious holidays. Right. So I do think that is um, a big piece of this conversation is alignment um, because Though, Ms. Silverman, I, I completely understand your point of parents. We also need to keep our staff in mind. And, you know, if, if their own children are off on certain holidays and we're, we're in school, now we've presented a child care issue for our staff. So um, that's just one more aspect of it. Yes, Mr. Reininger. Thank you, Chair. Just a couple of things. I'm actually not going to comment on the specific issues because as you said we're just taking high level right now and so I don't you know I think there are a number of key issues um, which um, uh, Mr. Ortiz has pulled out you know for example there's the do we start one week before or two weeks before or after Labor Day you know how long is the Thanksgiving break uh, which there doesn't be, seem to be much controversy about <laughs> how long what, do we have a two-week winter break um, do we have certain of the federal holidays like Indigenous Peoples Day, Columbus Day, um, and Veterans Day, or do we not? Do we have the religious holidays, the cultural holidays that are broad? And then on spring break, do we uh, decouple that or couple that with Easter? Um, <clears throat> and you know, I think we relatively soon need to get down to discussing each of those pieces. Um, the only one, you know, and I think all of them are open to, for discussion, I'll just say, as one comment, you know, the thing that would give me the most trouble was if we kept the spring break tied to the Easter holiday and did not offer additional religious holidays, because that just feels to me like an unequitable approach. Um, so, uh, you know, I could either I could go 
a decoupled spring break and not have the religious holidays or a coupled spring break and have the religious holidays. But I, I think if we go in a different direction, it doesn't feel right to me. Um, <clears throat> I did want to talk, the reason I actually raised my flag to talk for a second is a little about, bit about the point that uh, Dr. Gould and Dr. Noonan have just raised on alignment. Um, I think we're between a rock and a hard place here because, you know, we are surrounded by much bigger school districts that tend to wait much longer than we do. Um, and we can either have predictability or we can have alignment, but we can't have both, right? We can't have a policy that says, here's how we're going to do the calendar every year, and then say, well, we're going to change it every year because we're going to change it based on what Fairfax does. There's no real point to a policy if we're doing that. So if we're going to have consistency, we've, we've got to say what we are going to do. And so I, I, I'd suggest if we're going to go the route of a policy, we figure out what the rules are, and then we, um, and I mentioned this, I think, to the chair and um, uh, Dr. Demick at an earlier event, um, it, it's really not up to Dr. Noonan to convince the other superintendents this is the way to go. It's really up to the board to convince the other boards that it's good for everybody, that this is the way to go. And, you know, I'd be perfectly fine to have a proposed policy um, to adopt it or not adopt it and then to have us go out and reach out to the other boards and say, hey, here's our idea. Let's have this sort of calendar. Let's get it off everybody's yearly political agenda, and let's decide to go jointly together. If you disagree with this set of rules, let's come up with a set of rules that everybody can live with. Um, because you know, if, if, if we can sort of take that leadership posture, that seems to me the best path forward. Um, I at least would lean towards having a policy and sacrificing alignment, at least for now, with the hope that we get to alignment in the long term. But that's also a subject for discussion. But I, you know, just to close, if we think that alignment is super important, then let's forget the policy, um, or at least forget some of the bigger elements of the policy and just tie it down, because we're not gonna, it, we're not gonna be the captain of our own ship. We're gonna have to do what Fairfax or Arlington says, and there's no real way around doing that in a predictable way. Thank you, Mr. Reininger. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I think talking. Uh, uh, I think thank you, uh, Mr. Reininger, for <clears throat> for for acknowledging. I think the the appropriate leadership role for the board to play in the region. Um, I, I just wanted to make a just a couple of offer a couple of thoughts regarding how to how we might want to weigh some of the various factors and choices. Um, uh, and I think you know it was good. I think that Dr. Noonan presented the strategic plan just before we had this discussion because, you know, the first item on that list is that we make decisions in the, in, in the interests of the students first and foremost. And so when we're talking about, um, you know, whether or not to have certain holidays versus other holidays, you know, the impacts that we have heard from a number of, of community members, and I think, you know, and, 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 and Ms. Silverman has also um, express this is that you know it's just hard to get a rhythm in the fall when you have so many holidays, um, and 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 that's disruptive to learning and disruptive to students' development. Now, how much and you know, quantitatively, I don't know if it's worth going down that road. But so you know, that's one example, and that's not to say that you know those you know that the religious holidays are out the door, but that's a consideration that we need to weigh heavily. Um, uh, and then the next is, I think, the next most important one. Also tying it to strategic plan is making sure that we are supporting um, the, 
the the teacher staff and parents in the delivery of that academic you know uh, in the delivery of that education and that's going to entail a couple of trade-offs i think ultimately among the first but probably not that many um i, I think if we can agree generally that that's what we're trying to do um I'm not saying that this won't be a set of hard discussions, but at least we'll have a common basis on which to make a decision and something that I think will put us in a stronger position when we go, um, and, and, you know, if and when we discuss this with other boards across the region. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other questions? Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think reminiscing to last year, I know there was a significant amount of concern, uh, issues about starting to Ms. Silverman's points. I think the other two pieces of last year's calendar um, uh, that, that, that probably will not happen again. I know one, there was an issue around Wednesday half days, which they do not have Wednesday half days when there's a holiday. And that did happen three times in the beginning of the fall last year. And then the other, I think, issue, Dr. Noonan, just to clarify, is ATL days. Those are no longer going to be on the calendar for this upcoming year. Is that correct? Because I know the community has been con confused about that, whether those are going to continue or not. That is correct. There, there are not any ATL days built into next year's calendar. Okay. Right. I think those are excellent points. I think the calendar for this upcoming year is going to be quite an improvement from the one that we're going through right now. So. <coughs> any other comments? Yes, Dr. Dimick. I guess um, speaking to what Dr. Ortiz was just mentioning, I, when when um, the chair and I were running for the board and observing the calendar discussions, and that was, I believe, the first year um, that we uh, were able to start school before Labor Day, and we started um, we planned to start two weeks before Labor Day. One of the discussions in that was to try to have more quality time in the classroom before the spring sort of exam testing season um, and I think that's you know something to also uh, think about um, I, I do think that alignment with the neighboring districts can be important and meaningful for our staff um, I do see that as a challenge um, 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 one could align somewhat with Fairfax, but for next year, they added many more, um, many more days off than we have in our calendar. And I guess I sort of, I looked at that calendar and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, they start before us and they end the same time we're ending. Um, and way back when in 2019, when, when we were talking about starting two weeks before Labor Day, we were then talking about ending earlier in June. And I guess I would be concerned of that sort of starting earlier and adding in a lot of days and going long in June. I also, now that I have a kid in high school, understand some of the things that um, maybe affect families and students at the high school level. And that would be the kids taking summer school classes, either because they need them or, or by choice. Um, and then also this, so, so I think this summer school goes until July 28th. And then some of our sports teams need to then be here August 1st to start their sports activities. And so some of the things I'm curious about is like if, if we moved, if we started 
if we started two weeks before Labor Day, not saying that we should, just saying if, does that mean that the schools, the sports kids would then have to be here before August? And I guess there's, there just are many moving parts. And I'll, I'll stop. Just, just to clarify that, um, those dates, uh, those start dates for fall sports are dictated by the Virginia High School League, not by us. If we were to start in July, we'd be in, uh, we'd run afoul of the rules and we'd be considered out of season practice. Um, so it likely would remain as August 1st. As a quick follow-up though, um, we do have um, a say on our summer school schedule, right? So if we ended earlier, we could theoretically start summer school earlier and end earlier? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's correct. We typically try to start it right after the July 4th weekend, just because it's a little disruptive and gives them a break after school. But if we did end earlier, we could do summer school in the whole month of June and then have July and- So we just, we have control over that as a school uh, Of system. course, Got it. of course. Thank you. Any other comments for this evening? Okay, great. So uh, next step is uh, Dr. Noonan and Vice Chair Gould and I will sit down and look at the agendas for the next uh, Two meetings and figure out where when we'll uh, take on part two of this, which is looking uh, more in depthly at Mr. Reidinger's policy and um, you know going piece by piece through these. And maybe we just do it literally through start with the start date and literally go through the calendar um, chronologically. But we'll figure that out. And um, so just let's, uh, stay tuned, and I'll be in touch with that. Okay. Yes. I would just like to comment if if uh, if alignment is important. Just remember, we could align with snow days too. <laughs> and that would take a lot of pressure off of us. <laughs> Just kidding. Chair, Chair may, may I add? Sure. Um, for, for anyone who chooses to tune into this, that we would, of course, welcome mm -hmm. continued feedback. That's right. On uh, what you've heard or what you think. Um, and to echo what Ms. Tice said, there's just no way we can make everybody happy with whatever calendar we come up with. That's right. And I'll we'll try I'll try to um, work I'll work with uh, Mr. Brett and try to run it a couple more times and more announcements just before we let out for the summer. Okay, thank you all. Uh, so our last item tonight is a collective bargaining update. So I want to just give you all a, a brief update on that. Um, just to uh, give everyone background for those who are listening tonight, um, we uh, we've done a lot. This this was this was something that. Um, came before the board just, I think, I don't even know, six weeks ago or so. Uh, and this board um, authorized me to uh, create a special committee that would look at creating a proposed collective bargaining resolution. And um, so the representatives of the board were Dr. Dimmick and myself, and I appointed Dr. Noonan as chair. And um, we had management represented by Ms. Krista Michael and Ms. Valerie Hardy and Ms. Uh, Patricia Minson. And then we had um, teacher staff was represented by Farrell Kelly at the secondary level, Emily Donovan at the um, elementary level, and then Debbie Liang was representing support staff. So that's the group. And we met um, twice a week for how many, do we have eight meetings? Nine meetings. Um, and so twice a week, and we completed nine meetings. So it was, we were definitely moving at a clip uh, fast rate because we wanted to um, have something to present to this board to vote on on May 31st. And you may remember at, my, at the last meeting we had, I um, 
was very excited because we had um, come together and um, all three groups uh, agreed on four different working conditions that we would um, we would bargain over and we thought that was a real win um, for everyone involved and so um, we you know we continue to make progress and um, we there were certain items that um, we definitely agreed on we agreed on having two different bargaining units one would be the certified staff and the other would be the non-certified staff. Uh, we agreed about using a labor relations administrator to help us um, when we were having you know, issues during, during bargaining, we agreed on that. We're still working on some of the payment pieces of it, um, but today um, there was a piece that um, it was clear that we were pretty far apart on, and that was um, looking at the percentage of a bargaining unit. So if, if for those listening, a bargaining unit, as we were talking about, one group is the non-certified staff and then the other group is the certified staff. And so um, of each of those staff, um, we wanted to see, this board wanted to see that a majority of the staff were in support of collective bargaining. And so um, I think we were a little bit far apart on that piece and so the teachers um, asked to take a pause they wanted to go back and regroup and come back um, later so they've asked to, to pause the discussions about collective bargaining so that's the update for now we didn't um, we don't have a date on the calendar for the next um, meeting we left it in the teachers hands um, to come or the staff's hands to come back to us when they wanted to sit down again and talk so I don't know if Dr. Dimmick, you have anything to add? Yeah, thank you, Chair. I think we had really productive meetings. Um, I think we all learned a lot. I think we made great progress. I'm disappointed that we couldn't keep going, um, but I understand. And I look forward to us continuing to work on this. Yeah, I think we all felt, everyone in the room felt that even though we're, we're taking a pause, I think we all felt that we made a lot of progress in a short amount of time. And, and Dr. Noon, I commend you for your leadership and chairing that group, because that, that definitely was, was a tall task to get that much done in such a small amount of time. And let's just remind everyone, this is something completely new for the school system and for the state, so to make that kind of progress in such a short amount of time. And I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add. I, I just wanted to add that I, just to, to also say that I, I think we, we had some really great, um, meaningful and authentic conversations with each other. Um, where we were able to problem solve and be able to work towards uh, a really great set of items to be negotiated. Um, it was more than just the working conditions, it was also the salary and the benefits and, and the like. So um, we were on, a, I thought, a glide path towards um, having a, a place where we could come to uh, a resolution and um, and un unfortunately, there, there may have been some miscommunications in there. It's a little unclear at this point from the chair's perspective. Um, but regardless, um, I, I think you know everybody's ready to continue with our sleeves up. Um, we did offer to meet with um, the staff on Thursday, uh, and they just uh, decided that they'd like to decline and, and um, just regroup and not have that meeting on Thursday. So uh, I understand from our council um, that um, the VEA council has indicated she'll reach out after school is over. Um, so I would anticipate that there won't be anything before that. Um, and then we'll, I, we'll just pick up, I mean, we'll be ready to pick up whenever. Um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. So I, I appreciate the, 
the team that was there uh, from the management side. I appreciate the two board members that participated, and I really appreciate the time that the three staff members uh, put into it as well. And um, their their voices were very heard, and um, they had a good seat at the table. And um, we made a lot of headway. So sorry we didn't haven't gotten there yet. Thank you, Dr. Noon. Does anyone have any questions? Chair Downs, I have um, three questions. Um, uh, the the first is, um, um, if you'll indulge, indulge me, uh, um, one is, um, you know, the the uh, you know Dr. Noon is here, and and the the uh, much of the administrative part of the team is here. You and Dr. Dimick are here, but. Um, the three um, staff representatives are not. So um, y y I appreciate that that you tried to um, provide a very, very neutral update and you know and it appeared that way to me. but if 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 one or all of them were here and ha and, and were able to speak, what do you think they, they would say um, Regarding you know the 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 the, the desire to, to take a pause and and, and to stop and to stop the negotiations at this point. Sure, I'll be happy to take that. Um, so I think um, one of the things that um, we at our last meeting um, we made clear to to the staff was that, um, and this is after Dr. Dimick reached out to everyone on the board that the board would like to see a majority see that a majority of the staff would like a collective bargaining agreement um, and so I think that is um, where the te the staff I would say were I guess surprised at that that we would we would want to see a majority of this the teachers and staff say they want to have collective bargaining um, which we which we said would be 50% plus one person so, and the idea is that, again, this is the first time out of the gates, and this is something that is big, and we want to make sure that the majority of the staff want this. And I think that's um, where they were surprised at that. Um, the, something that came up today was, um, as you all may remember, we talked about PEAK as, and SEEK as one of the um, working conditions that we would bargain over. And um, today, I which I think we had always thought that um, that meant that we've had these conversations, this group about peak and seek, and if those can stay around with the collective bargaining. And so we thought as having that in the agreement, that meant that guaranteed them that that peak and seek would not go away. And then today um, the teachers said that they would like to have um, not just more, I guess, um, say on what happens with peak and seek. And so um, I, I definitely said that that was something we, I would need to talk to. It's a peak and seeker in policy. So I said that would be something I would need to talk with this group about, but that's definitely something that we can talk about. Um, you know, and I think, I think one of the examples they use is they would like the ability to call a peak meeting. Um, and so, you know, I, did, I can't speak, for, I didn't have, it was on the spot, so I can't say yes without consulting you all, but I said that was just some, that was definitely something we could talk about after I talked with you all. Um, it is in policy, so we'd have to sort of figure that out. But that was something that came up today. So I think those were those were two of the items um, that I think they would say that um, at the peak when I was a little. I I but but I would say I think 
I think the main piece of it was was that um, again that that this board, at least the majority of the board, would want to see the majority of our staff want collective bargaining. Um, you know, because this is quite quite an undertaking. I'd add one more thing, and mm -hmm. I think that that was. Um, representation of the committee on the committee of particularly the support staff um, I think one of the things that was mentioned um, was that they'd like to go back and, and reorganize and think about how to get more support staff potentially involved um, Deb Liang who's been ably um, representing support staff on the committee um, was sort of the, the, the only person that stepped in um, and um, and that could be interpreted a variety of different ways and I think that um, there was some interest in trying to maybe reach back to support staff and see if there was some more interest all right very good and then just just a couple of other questions um one is you know, you know um, and I'm, I'm happy that you were able you know you don't have a, a piece of paper but you had you know have minutes and agreements on a number of items um, to what degree do you think in the terms of, you know, you're going to get together with teachers to try to figure out salary, you know, you have to do all this work anyway, you know, to what degree can we um, build some of the things that we've agreed on already into what we do with our staff in the first place? Is there an opportunity to take advantage of those conversations regardless of what the outcome is with respect to the formation of, you know, fully duly empowered bargaining units? Um, you know, can we take some of those things that we've agreed to and start to put them into action? This, Dr. Dimmick? Yes, I'd like to speak to this because I've been thinking about it. So there are a number of things coming that came up that I think are things that we, we will start working on um, because they're, they make sense. Um, so I think, and if I am just this is just sort of me guessing at things, but you know, if this doesn't go through, there are still things that next year I would expect our school system to work on that are that are things that our staff are, are interested in. I don't think that the 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 um, the pause we're taking now means that we don't move forward on things. I would like to see us move forward. Okay. I'd also add, I I think there are a lot of things. I think there's a maybe a fundamental misunderstanding um, among some staff and some administrators to the extent that um, having a voice at a table doesn't mean that you always get what you want, 100% of what you want. And um, and I think today was in some ways sort of an example of that. We we came a long way and um, got stuck on a single issue, and there's there's sort of some sense that. The, the staff may not feel like they were heard um, and being heard and not getting what you want are two very different things um, and I think that that's that's something that we continue to sort of work through just generally um, even in some of the things that came up in the bargaining agreement discussion um, you know I, I I think I think we we bring teachers and staff to the table a lot to have authentic voice and they influence policy all the time in fact, the conversation tonight about religious leave and giving two days came from a staff member's advocacy. Um, it wasn't something that we just sort of made up out of thin air. Um, Jared Pete, who's one of our teachers at the high school, said, well, what if we did X, Y, or Z? Um, so we, we do have authentic voice um, that our 
are uh, influencing policy. So, and that's not to suggest that we can't do better. I, I think we can all do better. Um, and, and I think even to the extent that this committee structure was, was what it was, it's, a, it's an extraordinary opportunity for all of us, I think, to be able to sit around the table and talk about some big issues and to come to some resolution. And um, one of the suggestions that I actually had put out on the table to deal with some of the things that might be outside of a collective bargaining agreement or collective bargaining resolution is to develop a superintendent's council, if you will. And that council could include a small group of teachers, a small group of staff, um, perhaps a board member, but it, it, you know, it would be run by the superintendent. Um, but we could brainstorm and figure out how to deal with some of the issues that are in play uh, in, in absence of a collective bargaining resolution or agreement. Thank you. And then one last, one last question, and I'm sorry for, 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 for asking so much. Um, you, you, you've indicated that, um, that staff wanted to go back and regroup um, and, and, and do some thinking about exactly how they were going to approach certain things. And, 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 and I would imagine it's bigger than just this single you know, issue that's the kind of approximate cause. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imputing that, obviously. Um, so I think similarly, I, I ask, and, and maybe you don't need to answer this right now, but I think it's something probably to think about is, well, you know, what have, you know, you and, and Dr. Dimmick and, and, and Dr. Noonan and Kristen and the team learned? And, you know, if this is an opportunity for, for you all to regroup and thinking, okay, you know, you know, maybe, you know, yeah, certainly on that particular issue, we probably wouldn't make a different decision, but overall, is there something different to how we would approach this the next time we sit at the table? And, you know, and I don't know, I wasn't in those meetings, but, you know, you know there's always an opportunity to do better. And so I was just, you know, you know, maybe offering that suggestion and wondering if you've given any thought to that. Yeah, I, I can speak to, I know that we um, quite often, Dr. Dimmick and I, after meetings would, would talk in a meeting and come back and regroup and the working conditions is a perfect example um whereas i think you know we were when we began this as dr Ian said you know we also um included salary and benefits and so dr dimmick and i went in thinking always salary and benefits and no working conditions and i think we had said that in one of the meetings and then dr dimmick and i s stepped back and talked over the weekend and said let's and we talked to um, management like are there some working conditions that we can include here? So I think there definitely um, were times during that process where I think we, we stepped back and re regrouped ourselves and, and came back um, to the table. So I don't know if Dr. Dimmick, if you have anything to add to that. I, I don't have much to add. I think it's, it, uh, I don't think I sufficiently processed this since it ended abruptly today at 535. Um, but I would like to move forward on a lot of the things I've heard. I also think the discussion was really beneficial. There was good communication. I think having a superintendent's advisory board could be a good thing because lots of good dialogue was generated out of this and, and it wasn't one way dialogue. Um, and I think that, that having communication where, um, um, where each side gets to speak and, and is heard is, you know, sometimes 
we might do a survey to get like just taking calendars and examples, surveying the teachers to find out where they are on the calendar. And that's very um, one directional. They don't sort of, we, we hear what they think and we're okay, the teachers think this, but we haven't actually had a back and forth on it. If it's, and I, I, I really, I, I thought that the, the dialogue and communication was very productive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the uh, the concept of negotiations is always going to be difficult. I mean, I think uh, I, I think I would be a bit skeptical if we were moving along and everybody was in agreement and we got this done as quickly and as efficiently as as possibly we set out to be. I think union negotiations obviously are are also complicated. We are talking about power sharing, and power sharing is never easy. And I think we've got to recognize as as a uh, as a position of power that we are distributing our power and we have to make sure that we are respectful of that process and um i i think that's something that we have to do and i don't know if there's any way we could do any kind of i'm not going to say outreach but any kind of efforts to hopefully encourage to come back to the table rather than wait um if that's possible i would i would see if, if you and uh dr Dimmick could do that uh, and and I would also hope when we set up this process for negotiating um, and for collective bargaining, we saw, talked specifically about this, we were all very sensitive to the fact that, um, that this was a local agreement. We have a very special formula in Falls Church City, and we had lots of accolades around that. Um, I will say just for the record, I'm a little uh, concerned that the dialogue and the decision making is possibly going through more legal routes. I understand that's how negotiations happen, but I hope that the communications can occur between uh, the, the folks at the committee um, and, and hopefully not uh, through legal means, if that's how this is now being communicated about how we're progressing. So I hope that we can get back to what we were trying to do in terms of the spirit of coming together um, and, uh, and, and progress, if that's a possibility. The only question I do have is for the chair, Dr. Noonan. Did, have you heard any suggestions about the structures the structure of the meeting that could be improved to help with the, improving the dialogue, or is there anything that, that you would do structurally to help improve these meetings? Since we don't really have a formula for this and we're kind of making this up, anything that you've heard or thought about? Um, it's interesting. Um, I, I have to dig under that a little bit because one of the comments today by the staff was that this, there was a process problem. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what that meant, that there was a problem with the process. I feel like we, we were pretty methodical moving through some of the issues. I think we took longer on some things than perhaps I anticipated we were going to take. Um, and this could be a function of speed, um, to be honest. It, it could just be, you know, if we had five more meetings or we had, you know, four more meetings or, you know, even one or two more meetings, we might be able to move through wherever some of those sticking spots were. Um, but as the chair, I, you know, I tried to remain as neutral as, as possible and did some journaling on the side um, to make sure that I maintained that uh, neutrality. Um, so I, you know, it's hard to know, hard to know. But I, I feel like given where we got to in the period of time that we got there, um, I, I would say that both side, both sides, and and the board sort of came to came to play, and so um, you know we we've gotten to this point where it's evident to me that um, you know we're we're in different places, and just to sort of reiterate what um, Chair Downs said, I, I think that the 
the, um, the folks on the staff side believe that it should just be a, a majority of the people that vote. Um, and, and if they vote for, you know, a, a collective bargaining agreement or vote for a, a you know, a representative, you might have a universe of 50 or 100 people that vote and a simple majority would get you there, yet the bargaining unit might be 200 or 250. And I think that's what I'm understanding from um, the comments from the board is that if the unit is 200, um, 101 have to be in favor because that's the majority of the unit. Um, and you get to you get a better sense of does the does the whole unit really want this to happen? And um, you know those are decisions that are um, deeper in the waters than I swim um, because they really are sort of you know at the end of the day the collective bargaining agreement is yours. Um, and uh, and and I I think that Dr. Dimick and and uh, Chair Downs did a great job of representing the board. And I think that's where that that's where we got stuck. And I think that. Um, there was uh, uh, some some consternation about that 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 led to um, the staff deciding to to walk away temporarily. Hopefully, yeah. So I, I would I would definitely encourage if there's any way to try to bring this back together. If there you know if there's any opening for that, then yeah. I mean that's it, that'd be great if we could try to do that. So, but I understand they're requesting the pause. But yeah. Yes, Mr. Redinger. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment on, I think, any of the specific issues under discussion. I just, I would like to make sure, because this follows on one of the things that um, Dr. Gould said, that the, the contours of this discussion are really clear, right? So this is not a negotiation of a collective bargaining agreement. It's a school board committee that's advising the school board on what the parameters of that ought to be. So it's really sort of the rules in the road. Um, and um, I, I, obviously, you know, the, the question of whether it's a majority of those voting or a full majority of the bargaining unit, is a, that's a key question, right? Because, and that's substantive and that needs to be in this particular agreement. But it seems to me that there are some issues like roles of peak and seek that you really don't want to worry, you don't want to try and resolve issues you want to just try, try and create the framework that lets those issues be resolved if they're a subject for bargaining in a subsequent discussion. Um, and the other thing is, I got a sense in the communication that was just sent to this board from some of the representatives that there was the process problem may be that the representatives that sent the letter, or the, the representatives of the teachers and support staff you know, viewed the um, the draft agreement that had been prepared by council for review as sort of a you know a starting point, um, and I think that is that's imbuing again too much negotiation into what's actually happening here, which is a a recommendation from the committee because that particular proposal was never voted on or even specifically discussed by the board at all. So it, it doesn't represent an opening or a negotiating position. What this is really about is coming up with the rules of the road and then you know, the board will look at things. As I mentioned um, in one of my conversations, if, if, if the committee itself doesn't have agreement, 
I certainly, I don't know how the rest of the board would feel, but I certainly wouldn't object to a draft framework agreement coming forward with the board's consideration with bracketed language that could have one of two choices. And so I just, I'd like to have, while I think it's awesome for this super, or this, I should say, chairs committee, um, to go as far as possible in reaching agreement among the representatives of the committee. If there are places where they're not agreement, then it ought to be within the realm of possibility for them to simply say, we'll put two choices forward for the board to decide and the board will hear from all representatives and make that decision. And maybe that's a way around um, avoiding, you know, headbutting on a particular issue. It may be one that the representatives don't want to go because they don't think they'll win the vote when it comes before the board. But it is a way to not try and force every issue into the framework agreement. And, and as the chair, I would say one of the things that we've done, I think, a really good job of leading up to just that today is that there has been general agreement on all of the terms. And so this was really the first roadblock that we um, encountered, uh, and and unfortunately we 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 didn't um, we didn't take the time to work through it. Um, with respect to the the email, um, I'll just say one thing, um, and that is that we looked at three different agreements. We looked at um, um, Cynthia Hudson's, who had been sent to you all. We looked at the VEA agreement, and we also looked at Fairfax County government's agreement. And to be fair, we, we pivoted um, as a committee to try to develop the best of all of those. Um, and so while, uh, and, and we were lifting, and I believe that the two attorneys were lifting language from multiple agreements to, to get to the best of all of those. Um, so I, I frankly um, am, am a little bit um, concerned that that was um, indicated. Yes, Ms. Silverman. So I have a question. Maybe this is for Ms. Minson. Um, first of all, I want to thank Chair Downs, uh, Ms. Dr. Dimmick, um, Dr. Noonan, Ms. Minson, everybody who's been a part of this process. It's been many, many hours, and not just hours in the meeting, but I'm sure headspace outside of the meetings. Um, so thank you for all your work. Um, I think this probably goes to you, Ms. Minson. Um, in terms of how to define a majority, so that's I think that's where the, one of the major sticking problems is. Do you define, define a majority as 50% plus one of those voting, or do you define a majority as 50% plus one of the bargaining unit. I'm curious as to, and forgive me that I didn't go do this research, um, I'm curious as to what was in the draft resolution um, from, from the management attorney that was offered. The draft resolution from Cynthia um, Hudson did have 50% plus one of those voting, so the majority of those voting. Um, but as Mr. Reitinger said, that's not something that the board had talked about or agreed to and it was our understanding through Dr. Demick's conversations that the board was in looking at the shift from never doing collective bargaining to having collective bargaining know that whoever would be selected as exclusive representative of the bargaining unit had who would have one voice to represent all the staff would have the support of the majority of the staff not just the majority of those who choose to vote. So 
given that the deadline for the resolution is in a week, and I believe that this topic may have come up a few days ago, um, maybe the last meeting was the first time it came up, it does feel a little bit at the 11th hour um, a shift in how to count a majority, which is probably you know a pretty significant issue, um, you know a, a major hurdle that would probably take longer than just the week to resolve. Um, I mean, I do know that I'm probably um, I, I might be the only one on the board. I might be in, in a significant minority on the board that would support treating this union election like every private sector union election that's governed by the National Labor Relations Board, which means 50 percent plus one of those voting. Um, that's how all private sector unions are held, whether two people show up or 100 people show up or 1,000 people show up. So I would be supporting 50 percent plus one of those voting. Um, it also, and also I, I know everyone's here with good intentions and everyone's just trying to make the best decisions that they feel is best for our kids and for the schools. Um, and I know that um, collective bargaining did come up during the campaign season and many of us said that we support a collective bargaining and I know that you know six of us on the board voted to form the committee to work on the resolution. Um, it does feel to me, and again I'm not trying to um, put words into anyone's mouth or to try to um, guess what they're thinking, um, but my perception is if you want collective bargaining and you want it to move forward, um, treating it as every other union election, like the cultural norm of union votes, to me would be the right way to go because that's how it's done in every other sector, except it seems to be, um, you know, um, happening here. It, it just seems, it feels different and it, um, it just, it feels like if you want collective bargaining, let's make it happen. And we have the ability to make it happen. And doing it the other way, doesn't feel like to me again this is trying not trying to put words into people's mouths but to me feels like those maybe you know don't fully want it I, I don't know a better way to say it but that's just how it comes off to me um, so thank you thank you miss Silverman um, and I can speak to the to the time piece of it um, you know we were we were surprised we thought we would continue to talk through this and I think I think I can tell you that my mouth dropped open today when they said they wanted to take a pause so we were willing we even suggested we meet again on Thursday the May 31st deadline was not you know this is the board can decide we can wait move it to June 14th so this I don't want you to put the timeline on us I, I don't think that's fair um, we definitely it was a time crunch but we definitely wanted to con continue to talk and again, the May 31st deadline was one that we put in place. So we could have all easily moved that if they asked us to give them two more weeks, we could have done that. So um, I'll just speak to that piece. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Um, speaking about the timeline, I think we were actually trying to work on a time, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were trying to work on a timeline that the staff wanted. That's correct. They wanted it done before the school year was out. That's correct. And I understand Ms. Silverman's point of the voting piece came in late into the process and that that is true i agree with that Ms. silverman my point being is that we were going to continue to talk you know we were happy to keep talking about it till and because there were many other sticking points that we talked through and we we came to consensus on so um so i think you know by the staff wanting to take a pause then we couldn't talk about it anymore so 
Yes, Ms. Tice. I just have a quick uh, question of clarification. When we're talking about the 50% plus one, this is, the, this is not how all votes, once a union was established, or representation was established, that's how, that, we're not talking about those votes, like when a union is making votes about something. We're talking about the creation of, so it's, it's not, I don't know, is that still um, like governed by the same norms or the same, I'm not a union expert, labor relations, I don't know the organization you were just referring to, Ms. Silverman, but. Ms. Silverman was, was talking about the National Labor Relations Board. Right. And um, yes, for, it, it, for, the, for unions, the, the, the vote is a majority of who is voting. Is that um, for the creation of it too, not just for procedural? Yes. Okay. Um, I, in, in Virginia, this is brand new and we can make our, our own rules. We could follow those rules or we can make our own rules. To me, this is so new. I really would like to know that a majority of our staff want it um, since it is a complete change from everything we've done in the past. And I, when I spoke with each of you individually, I think that is what I told you. Mm -hmm. One more point to your question is the 50% plus one, not for all votes. It was written into both, I believe, the VEA's proposed resolution and Ms. Hudson's proposed resolution that the 50% plus one for votes would be required to um, decertify an exclusive bargaining representative. So as we're looking through the language in the agreement and trying to make sure that there is parity, just as we would want folks to be able to serve as interveners and look at what those percentage were, the vote was proposed that the 50% plus one would be required for decertification of an exclusive bargaining representative. And I think that was how Dr. Demick then asked the question that led to the conversation of why would it be a majority of the voters to institute an exclusive bargaining representative, but then a majority of the membership to decertify. That's helpful actually, thank you. Um, and, and this, I don't know if anyone has the answer to this, but I think to Ms. Silverman's point, do we know the, uh, the voting, uh, I, Ms. Silverman, you mentioned something about the private sector. Um, this is a common practice in the private sector. Do you have any information about either the governing body or for, but for public sector unions and specifically for teacher unions for initial collective bargaining? So I'm not a labor lawyer. Um, my understanding, the, the NLRB governs private sector unions. Oftentimes there's a state statute that would kind of mirror the NLRB to handle the public sector unions. Unfortunately, Virginia does not have one. So to Dr. Dimmick's point, it is kind of a, um, you know, wild west here in terms of how we want to craft the resolution. I would, I would favor going along with cultural norms, union norms, and just using the process that's used in all private sector unions. Um, we have nothing telling us which, you know, which way to go. Um, but if you want collective bargaining to happen, I mean, I, I just think that 50% of those voting makes sense because then the assumption is that a no, that a ab abstination is a no vote, um, which I don't think is, uh, is you know, it's probably sometimes the correct conclusion, but I can also think of a hundred other factors of why that person is not voting. 
and I don't, I don't think through the, the compromise of this issue. I mean, but I, I imagine that if we're looking at 50% plus one totality or 50% plus one of voting, that seems like there, if those are two extremes, there could be something in between. I don't know if there, if we've got the opportunity to even think through those. Dr. Demick, you look like you're already. Um, I think had we continued talking, we may have, um, but there, there was not a desire on the staff's part to continue our discussions. So maybe that's the opportunity to come back together and, and to continue to discuss this if that's if there's an opening around this. We, we, we did ask if they wanted to continue talking on Thursday to hear more of what we had to say and they, they did not. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dimmick did have sort of a compromise um, that I, we won't go into now, but again, I think had we been able to continue conversations, we could have, yes. Um, just also to help answer the question that you asked of me, Dr. Gould, um, to add to that, there is a big push nationally to get rid of the elections altogether because shouldn't it be sufficient that you have 50% plus one of the union cards? Um, it, it's duplicative to have the vote, so there is a big push nationally just to get rid of the elections altogether. So that's a new norm that might be happening sometime in the future. Um, and I think, uh, I think our staff are actually going to work on that. Staff would work on collecting the cards, but we would still require the vote. We have not continued our discussion. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. So that that's the update, and I'm sure there will be more to come. And you know, we will. Um, yeah, this just is happened just a couple hours ago. So um, you know, as um, you know, we can reach out to the teachers. They can reach out to us. And um, again, we're, you know, this isn't the end. I think, you know, we should all feel proud of ourselves for getting as far as we have with something that's brand new for, for Virginia and for the school system. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's just a first step and we'll come back um, to the table and, and take it from there. So, okay. Any other comments? Dr. Noonan, do you, before we close out for the evening, do you have any other comments? I do not. Thank you. Okay. Well, with that, I um, just want to thank, again, all the staff uh, for your time this evening, and uh, thank you to those who are listening in, and have a good evening. We're adjourned. <laughs>